Hello everyone and welcome to part four, which you might think is the end, but it's not, of the Dynasty Ranking Series, Davis Maddox, myself, Pat Corain, Jacob Sanderson, you're either listening to this on the Sports Great Fantasy Football Podcast feed, the legendary Upside Fantasy Football Podcast feed, or the Full Tilt Dynasty Podcast feed. We're here today is quarterbacks and tight ends. Then next week, or maybe later this week, depending on our schedules, we're going to be doing a mailbag show. Um, but guys, today, I mean, quarterbacks and tight ends, I expect there to be less uh, really voracious arguments here today. Um, you know, I think we're, we're mostly in line. But what is so interesting is finding a middling guy at these positions. You know, middling guys at running back and wide receiver, that's not really what's going to win you dynasty leagues. But finding the quarterback 28 who turns into the quarterback 16 for six mm-hmm. years, just mm-hmm. such a dub. You know, finding finding the next Derek Carr, huge win. Uh, finding, um, you know, TJ Hawkinson. I guess Ryan Hawkinson, Tannehill. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill was a massive yeah. win. Yeah. Uh, Tra- uh, trading t- for Ryan Tannehill with a late second round pick, like two weeks into him starting with the Titans, is like still one of the greatest trades I've ever made in my home dynasty league. Like that's, it still yeah. like brings me joy to my heart to think of Ryan Tannehill and he's freaking Ryan Tannehill. And the the crazy thing about tight ends is that they can come from anywhere. You know, draft capital has a really low R squared with like points. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we're talking like guys like Darren Waller, guys like Dalton Schultz, guys like Kittle, Kittle. Sure. Kittle. Great example. Gary Barnage. Uh, Gar- yes. <laughs> it, um, I well, that's mean, the other thing about tight end. It'll fool you too. Right. Well, that's <laughs> the other thing wonders. Is, to buying buying the peak on these guys happens frequently um, or buying the 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 rise right like you know there's always kind of the young like ascendant ladarius green type that you know never quite gets there or mike gesicki had a little how bit many how many like, times okay has, here we go how many times has someone traded a future first for david and joku thought they won that trade and then later realized that they lost that trade and then came Apparently back around this, again this off season think- and then the next part's next <laughs> off season yeah exactly. <laughs> oh it's so good it's um, there's so many like indexes in tight end it's like there's like the gary barnage index for like the guy who's randomly as tight end six one year and you don't think you're ever going to hear from him again like you just mentioned there's like the ladarius green index for like the young guy who never breaks out there's right. like the injoku index where it's like oh like he's this guy that like thought was going to be great and then you get the flop lag and the evan actually, ingram like, evan ingram from the same class we got evan two ingram, in the same class yeah. exactly and then you get like you get the Johnu Albert O contingent where it's like the oh man this guy's a twenty seven percent targets for route run wait until he gets all the routes then he never gets all the routes like there's just so Tom many of could these be guys. guy Tig scores really highly in the Albert O decks he yeah. does yeah oh man yeah I we'll mean, talk about the, him soon I'm sure yeah the ch- ch- corporate wants you to find the difference between these two pictures Chig and Albert <laughs> O they're the same picture <laughs> uh, so I guess the Probably the most interesting thing is that uh, no one disagreed that Mahomes is is clearly the number one asset overall in this format. And like a guy like that, who is just when available going to score so many points could tear his ACL tomorrow. There would be no change in how the market viewed him. Uh, It's, it's, it's so it, I traded away Patrick Mahomes uh, in a league last off season and i clearly lost this trade on on the sense of value right because i don't really think you can give the value there but oftentimes guys like that are such great trade 
bait and leverage because you can totally remake your team in in doing so. And do you want to do you want to share the trade real quick? Because I almost feel like you did a public service by trading Mahomes because like no one trades Mahomes in Superflex leagues. Like and, it's, and it's it's difficult. It's really difficult. Like I even amongst I, the top three, and it's like it's such a top three an underdog, right? Between those three guys, or we're doing Scott Fishbowl today. Like it's clearly a top three. But in Dynasty, it's it's the liquidity that's so different. Like you go you go and ask for Jeff Patrick Mahomes. Usually the answer is get the fuck out of here. Whereas you ask for Josh Allen, and it's like you have to pay me a lot, but like it's at least possible. Like I've traded for Josh Allen, I traded for him yesterday. So I had buried myself into such a uh, such a hole with this team that it was it was basically impossible for me to to get out of it other than trading Patrick Mahomes. I'm trying to find I'm trying to find the exact trade. I think I have to go back to the prior year on MFL. Uh, but but basically it 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 equated to uh, I traded away for two years of first round picks, a young wide receiver. Now that young wide receiver ended up being Elijah Moore. So he immediately lost all his value. And like, uh, I got Geno Smith in this trade. Huge win, right? Nope. I sold low on Geno Smith when we thought he was getting benched for, for Drew Locke. Mm. Uh, But it was basically for a surplus of picks and a way my, my roster was so top heavy and it was all picks based. And basically I have it here. If you want me to read it off. Yes, please. Okay. So Davis traded away Patrick Mahomes, Miko Hardman, MVS, and Noah Fant, and he got back Geno Smith, Elijah Moore, Jamison Williams, Ricky Seals Jones for some reason. A twenty twenty three. It was to make the math. It was work. to make it work. Okay. Yeah. Oh, a twenty twenty. Is this the NBA? He was like a salary. Well, why matching? did Why did Gretch even have Ricky Seals Jones? Twenty twenty three round like one. Guy Gretch right now. Uh, twenty twenty three round two and a twenty twenty three round. Three. Can, you, can no, you summarize that no... again only with assets that matter? <laughs> uh, yeah, I got lost in the Ricky Seals sauce. Um, so a, a first, a second, and a third in the following year because okay. this went down to 2022. Yeah. Uh Gino, Elijah Moore, Jameson Williams. Is this a one? And then he gave league? he gave Mahomes. Mahomes is really league? the only major asset you gave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't say that I'm with you here, Davis. I, I consider no, it, Mahomes it, to be worth five first round picks in a super no, flex. No, I did. Stealing. I did too. No, I did. I did too. Um, so th- this is getting into the weeds of this very specific league, but people are going to run into this in their own experiences, which is that yeah. there are only maybe three or four teams in this league. Really, at the time I traded it, there was really only two teams that had any interest in winning. They had traded every pick they had for the next two. Oh, they didn't even have six round picks to mm. give for the next two years. They had no picks available. Gretch looks at the balance of the league, says, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And my thought was, sure, I can I can sit on the homes for a billion years. Uh, my team is just going to continue to be shit, and I'm going to have no impetus to change it. And I did turn Jamison Williams into Cooper Cup for, for nice. whatever that is worth. Um, and my team, Pat is in this league, is much better now. I mean, like, I, yeah, there's a his chance, team is much better, yeah. There's a chance I can win it this year now obviously I, I totally agree with you but i also think every time you trade mahomes you are going to lose because no person is going to pay what a trade calculator would say he is worth i think so i've only traded away mahomes once and i've only traded for mahomes once and interestingly they're actually in the same league two years apart um and it was yeah same deal as you like i was in a 
just a horrendous spot. Like I had gone pretty all any out of the startup. And then I drafted a lot of dudes who like died even faster than see, I expected. See, mine was the opposite. I went all in productive struggle. And then it died a bunch of guys with the, the few assets I had died on the vine, like CH 101 in the dynasty draft, yada, yada. Yeah. So I shared Mahomes and I got at that time, like I got, man, I, I got a first round pick in that current year which ended up being Olave, which that was like kind of fluky that I got him at like 108, but um, we'll take it. And then two 2023 firsts, I think one ended up being fairly early, one ended up being kind of late, and Smith and Hollywood Brown. So we just got a bunch of dudes. And then I was lucky enough this year to be able to then actually retrade for Mahomes with Garrett Wilson in the 103, which I thought was like a nice win on on a combination. (laughs) But Obviously, you can't count on being able to get Mahomes back. I do agree with trading Mahomes only in the circumstance where, yeah, like if your team is bad, right? If you think about it like you're investing, if you're an already rich person, like the best thing you want to do is you want to protect your money. So putting it in Mahomes is like the safest possible stock. Like that is your, that is, it's, it's a bond, it's a bond, it's a bond that cannot fail. Exactly. Like, yeah. so you're, it's the best possible place to put your value. But, by proxy, like if you are not in a good spot, like if the median, if we say the median value of a dynasty team in your league is hundred and you're at like 70, so you're deeply underwater. And then 30% of your value is in Patrick Mahomes. That's just not a very good spot to be. Cause now the other 70% of your team basically has to improve its value almost by double because you're not getting any value increase out of the Mahomes. Like he just is what he is. That, he can't that go was up. the key. That was the key that finally got me to take a below market deal was I was like, sure, I can hold this, this golden ticket, this, you know, whatever, but it's never going to turn into that much of a difference. I I'm not going to gain any value over replacement in other spots or whatever. Like I just mm-hmm. am going to get 26 points per game at quarterback in perpetuity. So I, I do agree with you. Like I, I totally think like these players shouldn't be untradeable. I've had this argument with other people. Um, uh, if people call, follow, at Coop's FFB, Cooper Adams, we have like a two-year running debate over whether bad teams should trade Patrick Mahomes, and I'm on the side that you should. Um, and it's the same with all these elite quarterbacks, but it's definitely a last resort situation to me because realistically, like, if you trade everything else for draft picks, you should be able to accrue value. So you have to be, I think, deeply underwater to want to trade the Mahomes or the Josh Allen or the Jalen Hurts. Um, I would certainly make that my last resort play, but. Like I said, I have done it a couple of times when I'm in, in a deeply disadvantageous position. It is interesting, like I said, how much less liquid I find Patrick Mahomes to be. Like, like I've traded for Josh Allen a handful of times this offseason. It obviously costs a ton, but like it is something you can do. Like I think a lot of times if you go to the Josh Allen or the Jalen Hurts owner and you, you're like, I want to pay up for them, it is more possible than it is with Mahomes. I don't know if you guys find that as well or not. Well, I, I would say the difference between like the one I think about those guys, I'm like, why would I, you know, I, I think it's interesting that we all three have Mahomes as the top guy. And the reason that I see it that way is that like, it, this is not a, a time to take on like even any even risk. A, like, a, even, even a 3% risk that Josh Allen gets hurt running or that Jalen Hurts uh, is, is a B minus passer instead of a B plus passer. Like there's exactly. no, you cannot do it. Exactly. It so, just, yeah. Because it, it's to the point you're, you made earlier of like, we're trying to like, if you're going to this, 
is the 101 in Superflex, right? The number one quarterback is the 101 in Superflex. You want to have your money invested very, very safely. And with Mahomes, he puts out a ton of points. It's not like you're really losing. Are you, right. If you're losing up maybe a hair of upside compared to Jalen Hurts or something. But I do, I do lean on your side of the uh, bad team debate, Jacob, because it's like this will change eventually. Like Patrick Mahomes turns 28 in September. I think his like bulletproof status will will change in the next couple years. You, you when you're talking like, about you a got guy, like three years left. Once once it says 30, then then maybe it changes a little bit. Or even once it's turning 30, right? If he turns. He's yeah. going to turn 30. He's probably going to like win MVP the year he turns 30. Like I don't, I don't, you know, I, I do. I think it's like, it's like, so Ro- like Rogers, despite sort of having those seasons in the desert where he got hurt and Green Bay missed the playoffs and stuff, he didn't really start tanking in ADP until, or uh, until how the market viewed him until Adams left. Sorry. I only mean in the sense that like, there's no question that you would take him over Hertz. You know, that you would like right. when he gets to his, you know, he's like 29 going on 30 type season. I could see then going, you know what? Um, you, you know, I'm at this point, I'm going to like Caleb Williams has had an incredible start to his career. I'm just going to go him. You know, I think that you're you're like right and wrong at the same time in the sense that I think that you're totally right. That that's what's going to happen. Um and I, I also think that that will be incorrect for those who do that. Like, I, I, <laughs> like I, I correctly, that, I've correctly predicted a stupid thing to do. Yeah, I think that that's yeah. like that's that's my take on it. Like, I when when did you guys start playing Dynasty? Is the question. Twenty my, like pretty hardcore was like twelve. I think twenty eleven okay, or yeah. twenty twelve. Yeah, I think I'm my start was in twenty eleven. Okay, so we're going to leave Pat at the door here. Davis, I think we talked about this pre-show one time. We were similar. It was like 2018 or something like that, 2018. I think I think I, when 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 CD's first season, maybe the year before CD's CD was first 20, season. The Michael Hardman draft was 2019, Davis. I know everything so before, works before that, according before, to the Hardman Bible. So so before, so 2017 was probably my first year then. Okay. It was 2012 because I was in 2017. Great. 2017. That is like one year that that's Alvin Kamara's rookie year who is like now probably reaching the end of his career. It feels like Alvin Kamara has been in our lives for a very long time. Like, and that's, that that's only been six years, six years from now, Patrick Mahomes is probably still going to be entirely in his prime as a quarterback. And Jonathan Taylor might be out of the NFL. Like the, the quarterback Jonathan Taylor will be out of the NFL. Yeah. Like that's, it's, it's probably, He'll either be out of the NFL or he'll be like, I don't know, like hanging on, right? Like it's it's not going to be. He'll yeah. be thirty. He'll be on so the Chiefs practice squad. Be, like Melvin Gordon. Exactly. Like Bijan Robinson is going to be a, is going to be past the age cliff when when Patrick Mahomes is is still in his prime. I think like people struggle sometimes to capture just how vast the difference is between quarterback aging curves and running back and frankly even wide receiver aging curves like Patrick Mahomes is going to be fine I think that five years into the future like people like a quicker time than it actually is in effect like it seems like it seems like I've been playing dynasty forever and really I've been playing it for like half a decade but part of dynasty is understanding what people sort of systemically do wrong and then taking advantage of that and also not fighting it 
right? Like sometimes like, you know, there's kind of been pushback on, you know, the veteran wide receivers, like, Hey, these veteran wide receivers, they age better than people think or whatever. And I think kind of your mileage will, will vary on in terms of like how true that even is. But the point with me is like, okay, yeah. fine. But the, the, the market is still going to completely lose interest in these guys when they're 31 and I can get them back when they're 32 for nothing. So why wouldn't I play that game? I think Mahomes is so interesting because it is a real question of like, how, how long can he be the 101? Like, can he be the 101 at 33? Like he probably can't. So that's his, that's the thing is so little of his profile is based on rushing. Uh, like he'll right. run a little bit, but not, not really. And if you really wanted to be a bull, you could argue that actually the, the, the theory of him being throwing to a 34 year old tight end and a bunch of jabronis, like eventually Kansas city will actually get competent wide receivers. And then like, imagine what it would look like when he has, you know, comp like three competent wide receivers playing with him. Like maybe it gets even more high flying. That's that's a man. That's actually really scary. Uh, yeah. They already so, have them. Their names are Kadarius, Tony and Sky Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I just, you have best ball blinders on, but like, to hear I like that way. I, like, I, I said that in the most like beleaguered voice. Like I, I was like, <laughs> it wasn't even like I was doing it. In, like I have a good bit voice. It was like, no, Sky Moore is good. Guy Moore is rising. His ADP is on the rise. He what? This is what he threw yeah. for fifty touchdowns last year with like the average length of a or average distance of a touchdown being like five and a half yards or something like this. Like the if Mahomes wanted to, and they got some good players, he could throw for six thousand yards or sixty touchdowns or whatever. Yeah. Like if they decide to go that direction, because well, also his... he never takes sacks ever. Yes. So like almost every drop back. Like I was I was literally just doing AFC West projections yesterday and like. I was like, I think it's like you can potentially project Mahomes for like the league low in sacks, but also the most attempts. Like it's like just insane. That's like crazy. how, like how. So like no play is is wasted. Like every play that Patrick Mahomes gets the ball in his hands, like produces fantasy points, or it's an incompletion, and then the next play produces fantasy points five seconds of real time later. Yeah, he's in a perfect system. They're aggressive. Like the weapons could improve. Like even with Kelsey aging out soon. Like the wide well, receivers maybe, are so maybe poor. Maybe there's the a small, maybe there's better. a small buying window when Kelsey is done. Maybe there's like a a, a yeah. very minuscule Mahomes buy window when, uh, let, like let's say Allen and Hurts blow up again this year, and maybe uh Joe Burrow has like his best ever statistical season or something, and 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 the Chargers run a billion plays, and Kelsey looks kind of slow, and the Chiefs uh you know don't win the Super Bowl. Maybe this upcoming offseason, maybe there's like a Bones is like the quarterback four or whatever for like a month in dynasty rankings. But I mean the there's reason been by windows like Mahomes wasn't the QB one 101 overall in Dynasty ADP the last two years. Like it was yeah. Josh Allen and people right. were people were debating Justin Herbert versus Patrick Mahomes this time last year. Like it feels like all of Patrick Mahomes' career, there's been these challengers and Josh Allen's really the only one who has been a sustained challenger. Like everyone else, it seems like they come up and it's Mahomes or this guy for like one year. And then that other guy kind of fades back to the middle of the first Allen with respect to Allen. Like he's now stayed there right with Mahomes for, for three years. I, I think that's legit, but there has been challengers. There will be again, like, 
man, if I could add like a second round pick to Jalen Hurts and just get Patrick Mahomes, I'd be pumped up to do that. I just think that's like paying a very minimal insurance cost when you consider how much you're you're investing in that asset. So I don't know. I don't think that it's I think Mahomes will be attainable again. It's just he's coming off such a good season and the real life Super Bowl effects seeps into it too. Yes. I also think that with Mahomes, one of the reasons that he's so valuable and, and just such a good place to have, you know, especially if you're not even like truly contending, but as long as you're in the mix, like a really nice place to have a lot of your team value is like if he were to lose value, he probably declines to the price that you would sell him at today if you're like intent on selling it right like yeah he just declines to what any reasonable person would be willing to you're, give you're you. getting minimum of a of a good first and a good player who's like a younger than 24 like there's just there's no world yeah, in which you're yeah. getting less than that yeah exactly well, same, even even if he has like a, a, a bad year it's almost the same effect as like nba with max contracts like so on my ranks, um, if you see my individualized ranks on, on my sub stack, like I do a base first ranking system for every player, right? Um, the, a base first just means a first in a future year that is, has equal opportunity of being any of the 12 slots. And essentially I equate each tier to like how many base firsts or base seconds they would be worth. And once I start getting into this upper tier, I just put a plus because I, I don't think you can like actively quantify. So like, I don't have... So it's like, I have like three is kind of my max on like a reel. And then it's like three plus four plus, And I have Mahomes like five plus. And it's kind of the idea of like an NBA max contract where you can literally by the rules only pay so much. Like, like Davis was saying, like there's only so many people that have so many assets, but for a lot of NBA players, like their fair value is the max contract. And so it's like, would I want to give four first round picks to pay Jalen Brown, his fair value on a contract? Like I probably wouldn't, but for Patrick Mahomes, like, just the privilege of his liquidity has value. Like even if he doesn't actually trade at a lower cost, just the privilege of being able to acquire his services has inherent value. And so I, I think like- It's you're, a, it's you're a right weird, liquidity is sort of a weird term with him because he both is, he's liquid in the sense that you can always, you have You can always other... find a deal for him, but you yeah. don't always want to pull the trigger though. So that's the illiquidity. Right. But he's very hard to get... acquire. Yeah, but you're also like, he's not cash. Like, you're not going to be able to go exchange him for exactly the amount of value written on the bill. It's like, in that sense, it's not liquid. It's going to take a lot of doing. But in the sense that the other partner in that we're trade basically wants to calling do the doing, Mahomes they do. Like a rare crypto punk. Like, we're saying he's like, he's like one of the really good <laughs> rare crypto punks where it's like, sure, you could always sell him for the floor, but ideally you'd be getting a little bit more. I guess, like, what I, what I mean by this is like, Okay, so every offseason, I want to have more elite quarterbacks. Like, they just provide the most value over replacement in Superflex League. They also sustain their value better than any other position. You always want to be investing them in them highly. Like, if you go into an offseason, and I kind of did this offseason, you're like, I would like to drastically increase my ownership exposure to Lamar Jackson. Like, you can do that. You probably have to pay a lot for him, but you will do that. Like, you just start sending a lot of offers for Lamar Jackson. You will start to buy Lamar Jacksons. Like, it's a lot harder to do that with a Mahomes or a Josh Allen. Like you have spots. Like I have plenty of dynasty teams. Um, maybe plenty is overestimating it. I have several dynasty teams where it's like, I, I, I have a lot of value edge over the rest of the league. The only thing that I really am interested in acquiring is like those truly elite separating assets. If I had to pay seven first round picks for Patrick Mahomes, I would pay seven first round picks for Patrick Mahomes. It's just, I literally can't like I, there's nothing that the other owner will accept. 
So like, and it would be the same for Allen or Hertz. Like, so I don't think there's like a price that is inherently too much depending on the position you're in. If I'm like the sixth most valuable team in the league, yeah, I'm not sending five first round picks right. for Patrick Mahomes. But right. if you're the most valuable team, if you have the most value of any team in your league, like I, I don't know that I can tell you like you shouldn't pay X for Patrick Mahomes. Like you might, there might not be a price because there's teams like out there and sometimes things where it's like you're, you have like Traylon Burks is like the fourth wide receiver on your bench. So it's like, what good does he do? Like throw him in a trade for Patrick Mahomes. Like you can't, you know, you have to yeah. do something with that value. The other, right. And the other thing about, so one, I, uh, this is a kind of an approach that I learned from watching Sean Siegel for a number of years. It's like, you can, if you can take the future value of your team and move it into the current season, hmm. then you gain a huge edge in terms of your ability to win the league. I like, obviously right that's the win now thing but but most people go and they do that they take all their future picks and they go get you know Saquon Barkley and Najee Harris and stuff and it's like okay but now you've taken all your future value and invested it in guys who are going to lose a lot of value very quickly you're going to be left with no value but there's almost no amount of future value that you can like there's no limit to the amount that makes sense to go get Patrick Mahomes because he's going to retain that value and he's going to be putting up, putting that value into your team. And then you're also going to continue to get, there'll be new picks that will come along as, as time progresses. Like you just get awarded those, those just exist. So it's like one of those things where it is, it's probably a good move. If you're in the, if you're in the situation of, I think I'm, I think I'm in position to be a Mahomes buyer, but I have to add this 2026 first, like just, just add it, dude, do it. Yeah, I'm curious. Where do you guys draw the tiers for like the top? What do we have? We have so we have a top five. Mahomes tier of himself. Different. Okay. Mahomes tier of himself. Burrow or uh, Allen and Hertz same tier. The next tier of Burrow, Herbert, Lamar separate tier. Lawrence tier of his own. Then Fields, Watson, Richardson, and Dak. And then I just put Kyler in like. Like who the fuck knows? I don't know what to do. I mean, I know right. It's just where it's the, the combination alone on Kyle. The combination we'll to, we'll of the to... injury, the combination of the injury, getting no points from him this year, which does matter to his subjective trade value. Uh new coach. They're probably gonna have the number one overall pick. So they might be able to draft this like literally generational prospect. So he might be on a new team the next time you're getting points from him. Like I could see, I could see any argument on on Kyler. And then after Kyler. And Dak, I think it enters into a much more like you gotta have nuanced takes on every single guy. I think it all gets different after that. Yeah, to me, it's Mahomes tier of one. Allen, I also given his own tier. Like I get that Hertz should be there, but I just think track record for me, like I just we've seen three elite seasons from Josh Allen. We've seen one from Jalen Hurts. I just prefer all else being equal to invest in the guy we've seen three elite seasons from. But, and then it's like Hertz is all, so it's like almost three guys in their own tier for me um, with small differences between them. And then, yeah, then it's Jackson, Burrow, Herbert, Lawrence for me. Um, and then, and then we're into Watson Fields. And yeah, Kyler is kind of his own thing because, you know, the mileage you get out of Kyler very much depends on your team circumstances. Well, let, let's talk Lamar because we have a little yeah. bit of a, a difference of opinion True. on him. Uh, I have him seventh, you have him fourth, Jacob, but Davis has him 12th. Um, he does just kind of have that one amazing season. He's a true mobile quarterback where like 
you know, he, he could fall that's, off soon. That's that's all it is for me is that we're talking about a lot of these guys on like, you know, 10 year horizons or whatever. Um, and the points you're like, I expect Lamar to outscore Herbert Lawrence, the guys right behind him by, by quite a bit. Uh, for example, I'm also lower on fields and Watson than you guys like the guys where, even if even if I'm wrong, even if Lamar doesn't have a cliff, I think the market perceives the cliff that way. And the market is also, I think, very sensitive to Lamar's injuries, right? I just have seen That's this true. in, in the, like, true. if Lamar turns his ankle in week five this year, and uh, even if he comes back, I just think people are so, because it's it's been so repeated, and not only has it been repeated, but it's also confirming people's priors, which is that a guy like Lamar is going to get hurt more often then Trevor Lawrence is going to get hurt, even if it's not true, even if the play Lamar got hurt on was a pocket pass. It just does not matter. It feeds into people's perceptions. And I think Lamar is that Lamar is sort of the illiquid argument in a worse way than Mahomes, which is that the person who has him doesn't want to trade him for less than what, you know, quote unquote, a, a fair value in terms of future value would be. But they uh, also, if you have him and he, he does have one of these dips, he gets hurt. What or or just sucks at passing for a six week stretch or whatever, you are going to have a harder time moving in for what you think is fair. So my pushback to that is, I'm going to take the first, first half of your sentence. The per- person who has him doesn't want to trade him, and then I'm just inserting a period. It's me. I'm the person who has him. I don't want to trade him. So like I, I just <laughs> like <laughs> I, I don't know. I just don't really mind like the market value argument. Like I stray more from the market on these top ten quarterbacks. Because I, I just don't really care. Like, I care more about the market value of assets that I'm eventually going to want to trade. But usually... And assets that will lose someone, a lot of value quickly. I think you really want to... Sure. Assets that have the potential to lose a lot of value quickly. You really want to be focused on... If this if I'm wrong, what happens? And, in you know, running backs, like, if you're wrong, it can really pound you in the face on except a couple of other maybe there's like two or three exceptions to that and those two or three exceptions then become very appealing but a quarterback if you're wrong you don't tend to lose nearly as much value yeah and and also like that's just always what i want to do with my dynasty teams like if i'm right about a wide receiver like a rookie wide receiver the the first thing that then enters my mind is how can i transition this wide receiver into a package for a top 10 quarterback so like once I'm at the Lamar stage, like I'm not really trying to do anything else. Like any of my elite quarterbacks, it's like ultimately my absolute end goal is to just, it would be to have Patrick Mahomes in every roster. But like underneath that, it's like, I would like to get to any of these top 10 guys. Once I have those top 10 guys, if I think any of them are overvalued amongst each other, then that's my chance to use a Herbert or a Lawrence to push up and get an Allen or a Hertz. And if I think that they're a little bit undervalued, then I just want to keep them because I'm really happy. Like that's how I want to be investing my high value assets in every dynasty league is into these guys. So to me, it's like, if I think Lamar Jackson is undervalued, I don't really care. Like I'm just, I'll just have more. I I would be perfectly content having 60% exposure to Lamar Jackson across my dynasty leagues. If I got to that point, unless he became an entirely different player, but I don't think he's going to be like sure at some point in time, you know, if the rushing dries up and the passing remains stable, you know, he probably doesn't provide that scoring edge that he has so far, but 
I don't think that his timeline for that, like I mentioned earlier with the quarterback aging curves, like is his timeline for that faster approaching than like actively young wide receivers and their age cliff? Like, I'm just not convinced that it actually is. Even if we just average out this season, like, you know, people talk a lot about the 2019 season and it being a bit of an outlier. It is an outlier in terms of his overall output. If you just average his per game scoring over the last four years, he's at 23.3 points per game. That's inclusive of games that he departed early with injuries, which there's a couple of. And if you just grade that out over the last four seasons, it would have been QB4, QB2, QB6, QB3. So he's giving you reliably one of the two to eight most valuable points over replacement seasons almost every year on average. He now and gets the best and offensive that's after coordinator. you take away his, his MVP year. That's inclusive of his MVP year. Oh, it's inclusive. Yeah, it's inclusive of. It's, it's MVP year and the other two years. But like, and he still has this immense ceiling. We saw him put up 40 twice last year. He now gets the best offensive coordinator he's ever had. He probably has the best weapons that he's ever had. I I mean, I think you're, every time you have Lamar Jackson, your expectation is going to be mid QB one. And he still has the highest scoring season in 2019 of any player by over two points per game in four point passing touchdown leagues since underdog debuted as an app. So I still think that he has just a, a truly outsized ceiling that I'm super excited about. If you're ranking in like six point touchdown leagues or point per completion or point per first down, like I can see the argument for him behind some of these pocket passers. But otherwise, like I'm I'm pretty excited about Lamar's true ceiling being considerably higher than Burrow Herbert Lawrence. Um, and so I, I would draft him as such. I, I think Ooh. I agree with okay. the base assumption, but disagree with the conclusion, just basically for longevity and trade value concerns and also uh i think specifically in the case of lawrence and herbert lawrence i think has enough rushing that he's gonna have plenty of ceiling games like like four like he'll have like 404 ish while he remains young and herbert i i'm starting to get the sense that having a real offensive coordinator is going to be like unbelievable for him um now, just but like just in general, quarterbacks who do not run for a thousand yards and eight touchdowns a year score less than those who do, though. So, like your your base assumption is correct. It's it's the floor and the ceiling is the thing. Like Lamar Jackson's floor is at least providing a you know maybe not league winning, but a pretty demonstrable value of a replacement. Like he's at least going to be like the QB eight. Yeah. Whereas like we just saw Justin Herbert not be a QB one last year. Yeah. Right. Like if if Justin Herbert runs cold on touchdown rate or Trevor Lawrence, like I mean, Trevor Lawrence hasn't even actually done it. It's really a projection. But if, if Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert, like if they're not really hitting the efficiency as a passer that at this point we can solidly rely on from like a Patrick Mahomes, like they're not demonstrably different than Kirk Cousins in that given season. You know, obviously the value of that, but like there's a certain point where like sometimes you look up at Justin Herbert's box score, and if he's not running hot on efficiency, you're like, I'm paying a lot for the privilege of having Kirk cousins, but for 10 years, which is a little scary. Like I never feel that way about Lamar Jackson. Yeah. The, the thing with, like, I talk a lot about how I don't want to have to be right in dynasty and, you know, I want, it's a year to year game and you want to be able to play it like a year to year game. I do think with these elite quarterbacks, I said earlier that the, you know, quarterback's not going to lose value. Like the skill positions. I meant the elite quarterback, because you can lose a lot of value yeah. at quarterback. But, you know, generally, these elites, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it can, it can get rough. Um, but 
I think the key question with Lamar is, you know, because the, the market is probably going to get a little bit scared of him from time to time. Anytime he has an yes. injury, anytime he's coming off a, a bit of a down year, if he runs le- two years from now, if he if his rushing craters and it just is total noise, people will treat it as a signal of his aging. And so you're going to have to deal with that. I think the question is like how, like how big of a concern is that really? Michael Vick gives me a little bit of hope in the sense that like he, he was into his, his big Philly seasons weren't until his thirties, his early thirties. Right. Um, And Lamar, you know, is, is an underrated passer. I think his, his best skill is his uh, rushing ability, but he is an underrated passer. Um, If he can take a step forward as a passer this year, if the offense can take a step forward and utilize him a little bit more traditionally as a passer, not hide him so much as a passer, then I think like he could be, he could actually gain a little bit of value. He could kind of move into that like Hertz tier um, if the market kind of regains some confidence. So I, I definitely, I want to be on the buying side uh, of Lamar. I don't have quite as high as you do, Jacob, but I, I do want to be yeah. overweight. For the record, Lamar Jackson is my highest owned player in Dynasty. Okay. That's so I, I, I like that. I think that's, that's a good That's position. definitely a stand for sure. I mean, when he cut when he throws for 400 yards and three touchdowns and runs for another one in week one, you're gonna be feeling on top of the world. And then I'm and then it's gonna to be it. then it's gonna be November 5th, and he's not gonna have played in a month, and Harbaugh's gonna be at a press conference and Lamar's and he's gonna be like, Yeah, we haven't heard, you know, Lamar, he's doing his thing. He hasn't been in the building, but like it's fine. We're you know, we're not worried about it. Sign the contract, Davis. It's fine. He's got the contract, <laughs> it's a different world. It's fine. Yeah, I just yeah. Uh, so another interesting. I honestly, I one thing I would say is I would not be fucking buying on Justin Fields at these prices at all. Uh, no, like I'm I, not I, either. I ranked him where I think is fair, very high. I think where he's going is fair, but I just do not want to be the uh the the holder of that asset. I I think that he's he and Richardson uh are and Richardson honestly I think is even more insulated obviously because he's younger, but. Fields, he's definitely more interested right insulated sorry yes like Crane, you and i've talked about this plenty but like we like the bears could like not pick up his option like they they could just be like they could yeah. just be like nah it's it's all good that would be he'd have to really struggle this year for that to happen because right. like they if he played like he's played the, the entire time that he's yeah been they were three and 13 last year like it's it's just God, it's shut, simply shut it's it's simply not a stretch <laughs> I have no other for him to it's him. It's 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 totally possible for him to be like a good, you know, pay off his pay off his underdog price tag or whatever. The Bears suck shit, and they're like, we're just sick of this. We are just we're, we 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 got to do something else. If Trey Lance was drafted to the Chicago Bears and Justin Field was drafted to the San Francisco 49ers, is there any meaningful difference in how their careers would have played out? Like in terms of is Trey Lance just what Fields is right now in Chicago, and is Fields what Lance is in San Francisco? Lance is a different type of runner. Like Lance is like a Lance is yeah, like a Cam true. Newton style runner and Fields is like a, an electric open field style runner, but I was more going like broadly speaking, like is Justin Fields currently backing up Brock Purdy and is Trey Lance starting yeah, week 1 I think and he getting might drafted be. in round yeah. 4? Oh, I honestly totally. think he might because be. Because I, I actually and Lance Lance uh I mean we've we've barely seen him play, but he didn't eat sacks like Fields has eaten sacks, like nothing like that. Right. I, I think the eating sacks thing, I think Shanahan would not put up with that. He would hate that. No, 
Fields eat sacks like they're part of a nutritious breakfast. It's ridiculous. He would take <laughs> he would take one he would take one eleven yard loss on second and seven instead of dumping it off to Brandon Ayuk and Shanahan would just be like he'd pull the plug he'd send yeah. Sam Darnold in so fast. Yeah, like yeah. I just I rank Fields like all of our Fields ranks are not that out of line with the market. Like, like what's what's his what's his ADP? It's probably like. Well, that's like what I was right going to say. Like we, n- yeah, because we all we agree with each other. I I have him twelve. You have him twelve. Davis has him fourteen. So and his ADP is ten. His ADP is ten. So we we're we're all so we're, slightly behind ADP, but not in a big way. None of us are taking a huge. But I don't think him. any of us would take him. I think I think I think I Gundam, traded for him. I just traded for him. So let me pull that up. See, I well, wouldn't do you, that. You, that's you the, did you did, but you were getting out of Trey Lance. You were you were treating Trey Lance as an asset that had value. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would trade for Fields. If it got me into the into the elite quarterback club, right? Like if I'm if That's I'm just driving down plebeian alley and I like see the elite quarterback <laughs> club, there's like lights, yeah. people dancing. We, uh, we think you know, Justin Pat's Fields there with is his three a, million dollars, he's buying everybody shots. And I'm like out here like riding my Trey Lance unicycle. And someone says like, Hey, you want to come inside? Like it only costs a couple extra first round picks. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm throwing my bike on the sidewalk and I'm getting into the club. But then as soon as I'm into the club, I'm like moving up around. I'm like, Hey, um, how's your Trevor Lawrence looking? Um, you know, I mean, isn't, how's, isn't how's that Kyler, Lamar Jackson doing? Like I'm trying Kyler to change. Murray, isn't Kyler Murray currently the, the cheapest ticket into the elite quarterback club? Yes. Well, he's um, cheaper than Fields. Have you seen my have you seen my my lovely ranking on Kyler Murray? Yeah. Okay, for each of the good word. Um yeah, I I think Fields like I I put him at 12 because I respect that he is a quarterback who's going to score a lot of points and I'm not like that certain that he's bad. Like I I still think it's totally possible that the prospect profile comes to fruition this year and I think like if I was taking a loudly and confidently anti-field stance and think I'm opening myself up to seem like a total idiot in a year but yeah i just don't see a reason to take that risk like he's not priced in a way that makes sense when you consider that he has so much risk like it's just it's just not that much more expensive to just go get lamar jackson or trevor lawrence like so when the lamar jackson contract stuff was happening fields was going ahead of him that was insane that's that's yeah that's a great point so i so this trade um i did this in may so just after the draft Mm -hmm. uh i gave up Trey Lance, the 211 this year, uh, a 2024 first, a 2025 first, and a 2024 second. And I got back Justin Fields and DeAndre Swift. Done. Deal. Yeah. Absolutely. So now you'd be taking that and trying to go get Lamar, Lawrence, Burrow. Is that that's what you would do? Yeah. I mean, probably not. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even a big fan of like Lawrence's price. I like it more than Fields' price. Yeah, I would. I would probably. I'd be. I mean, I would try to get Watson plus. I like that. I think Watson. I have I Watson have right Watson. ahead of Justin Fields. <laughs> this oh, team okay. has. But <laughs> yeah, but but this is for everyone, not yeah. just me. So go. <laughs> yeah, I would try to do Watson plus. Depending on your team situation, I'd be interested in doing the Kyler plus route. But I know that's more team dependent. But yeah, I'd be looking at one of the other guys for sure. Like I, I'd be fine to to stop it at Jackson. I'd be looking. I mean. I always be curious how much I have to add to go get Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Like, I'd just try to keep adding if I could. Yeah. Do you want to talk Kyler? Because we're this is probably yeah. their first big uh, disagreement with these elite quarterbacks. We talked Kyler go? a bit. We, on, we oh, I changed my Kyler ranking, so we just very we, first 
one, right? Yeah. We've talked him a bunch. We also just uh, as a reminder here, when we get to tight end, my Mark Andrews ranking is not is not real. He's going he's going way up. I'm not I'm not this far off the market from him and our sheet. I need to to change these. So I'm I got Kyler 29th. Corrine, you have him 23. Jacob, you have him 13. My deal would be is Kyler is very specific in the context of, of your team. If you got a shitty team or a middling team and you want to add a good quarterback, I think he's like a, a good asset to add. But if you got a good team, Kyler's doing nothing for you. If you got if you're if you're one of the three best teams in your self-contained league, Kyler is is Davis Mills to you. He just he's adding he's adding nothing. Yeah, I mean, my take on Kyler Murray would just be that whatever the cost is of insulating Kyler Murray for this year, and then you get Kyler Murray either late this year or start of next year, that cost is just not nearly as large as the discrepancy in value between him and the rest of the quarterbacks that score like he does. So I I think Kyler Murray is just like a pretty strong value almost regardless of build. I did not have a lot of Kyler Murray at the time of his injury, um, he was just, he's always been kind of similar to Lamar Jackson. And I mean, beyond the case that I made earlier, I'll just admit my bias. Like Jack's just one of my favorite players. And I've, I've always just preferred Lamar Jackson. I just think he's a better player than Kyler Murray. Um, that being said, ever since he's got injured, I've just been buying the shit out of him and pretty equally distributed between every team that I'm tanking. I want Kyler Murray on. I think he's like the one Oh one of assets yeah, like you that. want if you're tanking. And then even teams I'm not tanking, like, this is my chance to get an elite quarterback cheap the way I see it. And then you just got to find two other quarterbacks. So if I can get like Kyler Murray and Aaron Rodgers, or Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford or Kyler Murray and Geno Smith for considerably cheaper than I can just get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson, like that's a pretty appealing option to me if those guys aren't available or if it, the cost would be a lot higher. Um, I've traded for Kyler Murray a lot. I've traded um one deal was i did uh cj stroud trey lance uh immediate win immediate win you win (laughs) (laughs) and the 110 for kyler mclaurin um oh my god this poor this poor person (laughs) you just traded with (laughs) No, I think that's more fair than you think. Stroud goes ahead of <laughs> no. Kyle. Stroud, Stroud and Kyle are like equal value. I, I don't okay, think well, they should be, but they are in the market. They shouldn't be. And Trey Lance at this point, really? he's like, Trey Lance yeah. is like a, a, a veteran power forward who's getting paid $27 million against the salary cap. Like you got to attach a pick to get him off your roster just for the psychic <laughs> damage involved. I mean, Trey Lance, we're, we're entering into a territory <laughs> Honestly, where I think Trey Lance may never start another NFL game. I, I think we are closer oh, to Trey God. Lance playing in a spring football league than we are seeing him start at quarterback for the 49ers. Well, if he ever becomes a Winnipeg Blue Bomber, I'm going to re-up my season tickets. That's for sure. But um, I, mean, I can't believe you just called him Marcus Morris. That's just that's just hateful. <laughs> um, no, he's more. I mean, he's like what Chris Epps Porzingis is going to be to Celtics fans in about hey, 18 hey, hey. months. Hey, hey, hey. Me and me and Sam will be giving our Chris Apps takes on ADP chasing next week. Um well here's the other trade. I, I here's a trade I've done twice. One was on a tanking team. I did Kyler or sorry, I did Trevor Lawrence for Kyler a 2025 first in Deontay Johnson. Um, and then one on a not tanking team where I also I like had that. Aaron Rodgers and Geno Smith. I did Kyler for Trevor Lawrence and a 2024 first or sorry, the other way around. 
Wait, you know you, I mean? the tanking team you did a Deont- you you got Deontay in a tanking team? Yes. So tanking one, I did Trevor out, Kyler in, and then also a 25-1 and Deontay. Got it. Um I'll I'd happily reflip Deontay, but nobody wants him. So hopefully he'll score points this year. Um <laughs> he will not stop me from getting the 101 on this team. I don't roster any players. <laughs> um and then the other one was uh not a tanking team, but it was basically the same deal. I just didn't get the Deontay throw in, but it was it was Trevor for Kyler and a 24 first. But I already had Aaron Rodgers and Geno Smith and Desmond Ritter. So I'm not like hard up at quarterback this year. I can get through the year at quarterback. So it's more, it's more value play for me where I prefer Kyler in the 24 first in that scenario. I've done several other Kyler trades. I can't remember them all, but um, that's generally, generally been like, if I have Lawrence or Herbert, I'm trying to see if I can get Kyler in a considerable plus. And then if I don't have any of the elite quarterbacks, I'm trying to get into Kyler, like I've been trying to do, I don't think I've been successful, but I've been trying to do like some T Higgins for Kyler Murray type of trades. Um, I like that. Um, so anyway, we've been trying to buy a lot. I've every time that I have Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or a pick that should be Bryce Young or CJ Stroud, I'm trying to trade that for Kyler Murray. Pretty good. I think. Yeah, that's so he's more attainable than I was realizing. Cause I mean, I have him behind like Olave and Waddle, but do you, Sam, you obviously have him ahead of those guys. Yeah. I do. Yeah. But that's a lot of it. Like I value, you know, we look at the sheet, right? We go down these quarterbacks and tight ends. I'm probably the highest on like a majority of the players we discussed today. Cause I'm just higher on the quarterback and tight end positions generally than I am the wide receiver and running back positions versus the market. So like, I think we talked enough about Stroud and young in the rookie podcast. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't have any, and, and Richardson too, actually like, uh, so if you guys missed any of that, uh, go back and listen to the rookie podcast. Tua, yeah. one of the most interesting guys on the board because he's locked into this offense where he's going to score a ton of fantasy points when he's healthy. He's like a little bit mobile. Um, but like, you know, I mean, he he could like actually be retired uh, soon, right? I mean, this dude, this dude, this dude takes another concussion. It's it's like curtains for him. He's not. I don't think he's coming back. There's there's no non-concussion reason why he's valued below Stroud and Young, right? Like Correct. he was as bit no. of a prospect as Stroud and Young, but instead of throwing to DJ Chark, Terrace Marshall, Pat Crane's favorite player in the NFL, Robert Woods, Nico Collins. Have you have you um, publicly like apologized for that thread yet? No, in fact, you can do uh, it now if you like. Someone opportunity. Oh, Sean Sean Siegel on uh on stealing bananas. Oh, no, kind of hinted that he's that he's kind of open to. Oh, Sean. And then Sam Sam started what doing it too. Happening? Sam like did one about I don't remember uh, maybe Odell. I don't another. It was another Odell, one. but he's but that's he actually has a point there. I'm with Sam on Odell. I actually, well, Pat, moved Odell. Pat had a point too, but it's just uncouth to say it no. in public. Yeah, you're just I, I actually the point. I actually I did my projections on the Texans, and Robert Woods came out the second highest of the wide receivers. And and then I just manually flipped half a touchdown to Mechie because I didn't want it to be the case anymore. Yeah, see, everyone's in denial. Everyone's got their head in the sand on Robert Woods. <laughs> yeah. And he's, I'm not saying he's good or anything, but, you know, he's just like he's free in best ball, okay? This, is a, this okay. isn't a best ball pod, but uh, you're allowed to point out guys that are free in best ball. Point being that Tua throws to good wide receivers um, and is proven to be a good NFL quarterback. Stroud and Young throw to terrible NFL wide receivers um, and have not yet proven that. So it's got to just be the concussions, which I guess we talked about who is the we talked about this with Tajay Spears about the fantasy community's willingness to forget and re-remember injuries at convenient times. 
Like if it's week yeah, almost, three, almost like a, it's it's more than a willingness. It's almost like a, it, it's very predictable, and, and it's almost like not something that people can emotionally keep track of. Like it's like it, you can remind someone of the injury later, and they'll they just won't care because the guy's been productive. You know what I mean? It's not like people actually forget. It's just like the emotional the emotionality of this game. Like if Tua stays healthy this year, people will not care entering 2024 that he had a few concussions in 2022 they just won't so then so then the move now is trade for Tua and then if like in week three the Dolphins are just the Dolphins then then you just you just trade them that is the move that is exactly Which sucks I'm not really a Tua believer like I don't know I've been in conflict because I would prefer to be out on Tua like I'm not a big fan of this archetype of quarterback. Like, I don't really want to be in on the young, not truly elite pocket passers, but he's just priced extraordinarily fairly. Yeah. What uh, about? I mean, it feels Goes. like a bad. It feels like a bad bet to make as a as a buy, though. You know what I mean? Like, even if that was your plan, like, oh, sick! I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it all back in one trade. I'm gonna I'm gonna trade a na- uh, a fair market value for Tua. He's gonna blow up with Tyreek and Waddle. It's gonna be awesome. Um, because you're, you know, this is like, this is a uh, real basic gambling stuff. Like when the risk of ruin is yeah. real, when, the, when there's a risk of the asset going to actual zero and you can calculate that risk, uh, it's, it's a bad, like the, the, your willingness to do that trade should be minimal. Yeah. yeah. I'm generally against market timing too, which is why I struggle to make that case, but it does just feel like he's mispriced, I guess. Like, I don't think that he's an asset. It's almost like how I feel about Josh Jacobs in seasonal, where it's like, I don't want to bet on this type of asset, but I also don't think that he's priced correctly based on how people would normally value this type of asset. Right. Yeah, I I agree. And I think, like, the the issue is it it is concussions, which I think makes it more difficult. Like, if it was more, you know, if it was like some sort of, you know, DAC ankle injury recovery type situation, I would be less concerned about it going really wrong on you but this feels like it can you can lose a ton of value he's still expensive enough where you can lose an uh, absolute borderline crippling amount of value on this guy um so that that definitely makes it concerning but that's why you could pull off this flip and i think people will it might take six weeks instead of three but i think you'll have a sell sell window if you were to trade for him now uh and i also feel like his is hasn't he been a big riser recently in best ball uh, we didn't yeah, actually has. on ADP chasing talk much ADP today, but um, but yeah, he's been a big riser, I think, and that, that will probably continue to be the case because again, it's sort of this amnesia, this collective amnesia sets in pretty quickly. Like it'll, it's like he's he's healthy in training camp. Like of course he's healthy in training camp. <laughs> he's wearing a red jersey. Do you guys think two is actually good? Yes. Yeah, I I actually do. Yeah, I I feel pretty strongly that like at least he's like hyper accurate and that's like the hardest thing to teach a quarterback obviously i don't think he'll ever uh be a good deep thrower like there was that there was a couple throws where he looked like a little kid trying to like throw a basketball up into a hoop or whatever like talking all the way back launching his whole body into the air or whatever like he'll never develop that but he is extremely accurate game manager the was the kind of the oh go for the that. derogative term right we used to say game manager is kind of like a derogatory term in a sense but like there's i think the modern nfl with how much passing you can do and how sharp some of these systems are it's it's like you kind of are just like an executor you know and i think like in the 
like Brady was basically an executor of a, you know, maybe not a system exactly, but like he was getting the ball out to the right spots at a very, very high rate. And, you know, it's the, the best ever. So uh, I think I view him as kind of, I view Tua as kind of like a better version of Jimmy Garoppolo or something. Like he executes, he's, I trust him a lot more than I trust Garoppolo, but it's kind of happening in a similar way. Because yes. I think that's the question is like, we have seen in the NFL several times where coach comes in, they have good skill players. They have a really progressive scheme. that isn't really like a lot of things that have been happening before. And this offense goes on a tear with a pretty replaceable starting quarterback. And it doesn't sustain. Like we saw the Foles, Chip Kelly Eagles. We saw the original Goff McVay Rams. Um, like we've seen it with Jimmy Garoppolo, who kind of has sustained it um, when he's got hurt with, with the San Francisco 49ers. That's, that's, I think, my question with Tua is it's like, is he like, I know he's not Mahomes good, but is he like a higher tier where he's like closer to like the Herbert and the Burrow or whatever, where he can actually do this? Or is this like a fairly fragile McDaniels puppet? Maybe like a Dak is a good example. Like, is Tua Dak good or, or is he like Goff good? Cause I, I guess that's like, I think, to he's, me, it's I like think his... he's more Dak good than Goff good. Okay. Yeah, I think Goff has serious weaknesses that you have to scheme around, and and he will cap out even in that perfect environment. And I think Tua also has weaknesses, but they're not as bad as as Goff's weaknesses. Um, yeah, I, way better under pressure than than Goff for sure. Yeah, and Goff just ha- he just leans on that underneath stuff, and he can actually like the weird thing is Goff could be more of a complete passer than Tua, but I feel like Tua with his ugly duck deep ball still more complete um golf has the tools golf has the tools he doesn't have the uh the know he's not he's not not sure where the sun rises yeah it's it's uh, not it's not in his brain (laughs) he just golf has one of the most like dumb looks that i've ever seen from a professional athlete like anytime that i like that was anytime that i looked exactly pat's doing the wind horse and like that's how golf looks at all times like i just i remember it was the season after jared i'm doing the wind horses but he has a dumb look on his face all the time (laughs) (laughs) it was just like i don't know like i remember just seeing i think it was like a pittsburgh game it was like the season after the rams were unstoppable and then it was like the next year i remember they're playing at pittsburgh and golf just getting sacked a bunch and i was like at the time i was actively talking to someone about whether i would buy low on golf in a dynasty league and i like looked at him come up from the sack and i just like looked into his eyes and i was like no like this dude this dude is just not it like he doesn't have it yeah well with Tua, I kind of want to push back a little bit on the idea that this system sort of it, like, yes, it could be kind of a Nick Foles and the Chip Kelly system level kind of like, wow, that was fun. And then it went away type of thing. And we saw signs of that. Hmm. Um, we just talked about the Sunday P chasing where teams were, tr- were taking away some of those middle of the field throws. And that was like kind of limiting what uh, Dolphins can do. And, and, you know, do they have a counter punch for that? But like McDaniel is a Shanahan guy. He's been helping him run that system for years now. And like that system has sustained success. The fact that Brock Purdy came in and immediately performed just like Jimmy Garoppolo is yet another sign to me that like Tua can do just fine. You know, he wasn't on that team and McDaniel wasn't there last year, but this is that system. And I think McDaniel is extremely sharp, just like Shanahan. 
in terms of how he's designing this offense. So I have a lot of faith in this larger system continuing to produce highly efficient offense. And I actually have a little bit more faith that McDaniel will uh, lean into the pass more than Shanahan. I mean, one of his weaknesses, I think, is that he really just does not want to move away from the run-heavy stuff. And I think McDaniel showed a little bit more willingness to do that, especially before they got Jeff Wilson and, you know, the running game was struggling a little mm-hmm. bit and he didn't force that. He, he traded for a running back, but he didn't force it. Uh, you know, I think he maybe might be a little bit more like philosophically flexible on that. Yeah. And I mean, it's probably a good sign that they like, I mean, maybe they will still sign Dalvin cook, but it's probably a good sign that they weren't like, here's $8 million. Like that shows right. that they're like, you know, they're, they're considerate. It's like, okay, if Dalvin will sign with us for 3 million, sure. Why not? Add another body, but they're not like, going out of their way to be like, we need to address the running back position. What about contract risk with Tua? I would say that's probably the big concern. Um, they, you know, like, they pick up a like, fifth year option, but then. They're like, actually, we don't want to pay a guy whose whose brain could go kaput because this is a modern day gladiatorial sport and we don't want to pay you the guaranteed money. And in a system where the literal, you know, last pick of the draft can come in and have a lot of success. So, you know, what if Sam Darnold is shows this, well in three starts. Well, wait, what is this? Is this when right. we start to do the Mike White? Why did they? Why did they go out and sign Mike White for a two-year deal? Uh, the Windhorse Point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, well, but also, thing, right? If we like anyone to can come in, if he's not with McDaniel Hill and Waddle. Exactly, exactly. And if anyone can come in and run this system that has certain executing level traits, you know, could they bring in someone for a lot less money? And the it's also an interesting thing where. It, where we saw, I think we may be starting to see that kind of non-elite tier of quarterbacks, their prices start to drop on the open market and teams don't want to be in that business. And that could create some downward pressure on, you know, what those types of guys can get as they become available if you're not elite and making it easier to replace a Tua and then also more risky to pay a Tua because, you know, You can go out and get someone slightly worse than him for for almost nothing. I mean, can they really pay to a Hill Waddle? Like, I know we've been having that conversation with the Bengals, but Burrow's a lot better than Tua. They'll so, be able to they'll they'll be able to get off paying Tua way less than Burrow's contract, like yeah. way less. And and Waddle will not command as much as T. I bet as well. Really, I think Waddle will probably command more. I think he might command more too. That's well, speed. Shit, Teams want that speed. Teams do want that speed. I mean, what is isn't isn't didn't Tyreek say he's just gonna? Retire? He's got three years. I think he said. <laughs> didn't he say he That's was gonna true. get two? He was gonna get two thousand yards this year I, and then just retire. Yeah, but then he committed some more crimes and legal lawyers cost oh, a lot of money. He might, right. yeah, he might need a fourth year. Might need the money. Yeah, that's open true. your third eye, Davis. You're right. Well, okay. I wanted to talk Daniel Jones, and he seems like talk a Daniel guy that could be the template for what Tua gets in terms of money. Like he, he, I think he's more in that Daniel Jones level. I think two is just better than Daniel Jones. I think he's better than Daniel Jones, yeah. but don't, don't you think he's in that kind of tier of this is how much we're willing to pay you, especially given the system and that they might be able to, or do you think he's going to command more like significantly more than that? Man, it depends what happens this season, I guess. Right. If he, if he plays 17 healthy games and he plays at the level that he played last year, he's commanding a lot more money than Daniel Jones, I think. Because someone would give it to him. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, like, Jones got he got four years. Um, I'm trying to pull up the exact. He, he he got paid decently well, 
And that's one reason I want to talk about him is that I've, I'm significantly higher on him than you guys. I have him at 40. Yeah. Davis has him at 53. You have him at 57, Jacob. I just am not. I'm just not interested. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. He scored just like Tua last year. Yeah. He cannot be cut next year. He's got 63 million dead cap number next year, $45 million cap hit. So he's on the roster. He, you know, is now entering his second uh, season with Dayball. They're going to pass. He's mobile. He's young to the point where you're not worried about him falling off. And if you want to trade him midseason or whatever, you're going to, the, the person trading for him knows that they have a starting quarterback for sure in 2024, given the contract that he just got. So I, he feels like one of those guys where it's not sexy, but he's protected. He's not as risky as Tua. You know, I would and he say I would be. Uh, I'd be more likely to take Daniel Jones in a startup than Tua, but not not really interested in trading for either one of them. I guess. Pat, you know where you lost this Daniel Jones argument? It was when the second thing that you said was he can't be cut next year. When your selling point for a quarterback is is talking about why their contract doesn't allow them to be released from the terms of their employment, that's I'm not no, I, like that's I that's, look that's at, not how I want it to be led. If if they're not elite, that's like one of the main things I look at is how because if they're not elite, then all the talent based argument stuff at that point is like because because these NFL teams are looking for elite play at the quarterback position. Yeah. So if you're not elite at the quarterback position, you're fundamentally at risk of losing your job. It's really that simple. And so then the very next thing, okay, so you're not elite. So I don't really care. Like who's better between, you know, Daniel Jones or Derek Carr. It's like, I don't give a shit who's better. I care about who's got the better contract. Who's going to definitely be a starter for me next year. Now that I've got that taken care of, I want to look at, okay, who's going to score more fantasy points? Like, what am I actually getting out of these guys? If I get a better contract, but I have very little interest in what they're actually going to do as a fantasy player, then I'll take on more risk to make sure I'm getting fantasy points out of it. But that's probably like the second thing I'm looking at after are you elite or not. My my only pushback on that is that you really are paying for it. Like, I, I agree with you that Daniel Jones, like, is kind of in the same sphere of these other guys in terms of these mid-level starting quarterbacks who are generally at risk. But like whether it's the contract or whether it's the youth or whether it's the good vibes, like or a combination thereof, you're you're really paying a premium on Jones versus the rest of these mid-levels. Like he's going in the fourth round of startups where you know he's going right around guys like Josh Jacobs, he's going ahead of Devontae Adams. Like there's guys that could score a lot of fantasy points this year, Tony Pollard that we talked about on our previous show, Ramondre Stevenson, like and you look at how we're drafting guys in best ball, like he's basically going back to back with Geno Smith, who had a better year last year than Daniel Jones has ever had in his career as a real life NFL quarterback. And I get that Geno's older. I get that his contract isn't as secure, but like, I don't know. I, I just, I just would way rather like invest in Geno at that lower opportunity cost than in Daniel Jones at that higher opportunity cost. When I think the bet is like mostly the same for this year. And the youth appeal is like really theoretical because I don't have any level of safety that Daniel Jones is starting NFL games at 32. Like, I don't oh, know, maybe yeah, the youth would, appeal nice is payoff, just, but I have no idea if it's true. The youth appeal is just so that next year he doesn't look like a one year 
and then he's definitely done. Yes. You know, it, youth appeals so that you can get out of him next year and people view him as a solid long-term starter when next year he is, in fact, not a solid long-term starter because unless he absolutely crushes this year, he's going to be entering the last year of his contract where they can't move off of him. And so the, to me, I'm like, if I can get like, okay, Geno Smith and Daniel Jones are going the same level in best ball drafts. But one of them offers me the ability to get out at a pretty similar price to what I'm paying now. And the other one probably loses a ton of value in Geno Smith. So I'm like, I can get, it's almost, I feel like I'm getting free points. Like I don't I have feel like to. You, I feel like you can get Geno for like nothing though. I think that's, I think, I think you kind of hit, like I can see the argument for both sides, right? Like you're making a case. I think it's a good case that I probably don't give enough weight to. Um, because I just get the dick with Daniel Jones, but like, yeah, you're making the case where it's like, you can get Daniel Jones, you can rent his production for the year and you can probably get out for close to the same value. And then my counter to that would be like, yeah, but you're paying so little for Geno Smith that if he just dies on your roster, it's fine because you're getting more than what you paid for in points. And I don't know. I think that both of those sides of the coin are, are probably. The funny thing is that Daniel Jones was the Geno Smith last year. And I think, the, the yes, upside I was all in on Daniel Jones last well, year. Well, we're we're hitting we're hitting a good point, which is that the the macro point here is just winning a quarterback trade that seems really uninteresting at the time just like pays dividends for so long. Like if you would have sent third round picks for Gino last year, you are just you are you're Scrooge McDucking in Sklansky box. Like it was such a win. That Gino Smith is... off of waivers like has changed yeah. two teams that would be tanking right now, but are instead competing because we got Gino off waivers. Like that's, it's, it's like life-changing. That's such a great point. Yeah. I want to be I, I'm with you that I want to be overweight. The elites. I also am totally, I'm more comfortable than you guys. I think playing the game where, you know, I'm using that contract for protection. Like, I don't know where Jordan love is, but I probably have him higher than you guys. Um, oh, actually Jake, uh, Davis has him at 71. I have him at 85 and Jacob has him at hundred. That's another one where I'm like, He's kind of set up for two years. I can kind of see what he is, get more information, and I don't have to pay for it. Um, I I Kirk, really I really okay. like Jordan Love because I think he's just absolutely giga locked into starting in for the next two years and might be good, right? But might I mean, might not be locked good. Locked in for the next two years. He's locked like, yeah, in. What if he's, he's locked horrendous. in as the week one starter next year? I think unless he's horrendous. I don't think he's locked in at all, and I think he's probably horrendous. I don't well shit. Maybe he's probably he not good. He's probably, he's probably not, not good. like I mean I don't I don't when I say he's probably horrendous, I don't want to be like you know dismissive of things that we don't know because as as a wise man would say, we just don't know. But I wouldn't say that there is like of the evidence that we have on Jordan Love, does any of it support him being good? No, and I think maybe it was Gretch saying someone was talking about how run heavy he thinks they're gonna be, and it kind of clicked for me that that they're gonna be super run heavy. Um and so that could also be a, a concern for love, but just that archetype of player is one that I generally am willing to kind of wait in because I feel like I can be wrong and not have it be catastrophic because of the contract. Whereas like I have, I'm the lowest on Kirk cousins of you guys. You have him, Jacob at Probably 83 Davis is at 64. Oh, I'm at 93. Right. So that's a pretty big disagreement. And that's a, that's the type of dude I'm like, okay, he's, about to turn 35. He could be productive this year, but like he's going to go to zero. He's got no contract past this year. Like 
he's very, very likely going to zero. Why wouldn't I pay that little extra premium, you know, or, I mean, <laughs> I'm not really willing to, to take him where he's going, but like, I don't know. I'd just so much rather try to move into the Daniel Jones tier than be stuck with a guy like Cousins who's going to expire. Yeah, I think yeah. that's like that's probably slightly the difference. Is like I'm I'm pretty comfortable with the guys going to zero. Like I would just say I'm generally a pessimist. Period on most of these players. Like you just look on aggregate. If you're not a rookie and you're not a draft pick, the majority of the rest of the players are all losing value year over year, every single year in dynasty. And so I just try to like operate from the standpoint of, I think that this player might die on my roster as much as possible, even for younger players. And so I, I usually want to be overweight on draft picks. I want to be trying to push up into the elites, but if not, like I'm tending to go for, for the guys that I just think are going to score the most points. And maybe it depends on format. Like th this is one for sure, where if, if it is like a four point touchdown league, with pretty standard scoring settings, like I might be more into the Jordan loves that you're mentioning in the sense that like, it's probably the most important thing from your quarterback slot is that you have two of them that start every right, week. Right. Right. Whereas like I play like most of my leagues are like six point passing touchdowns. A lot of them is like, you get, you know, these like weird things for like points per completion and stuff like where the, you get a wider spread where like the value of a replacement edge that Kirk cousins is giving you over a Kenny Pickett is just like pretty substantial to the point where, I don't really mind if it dies because like cousins is just providing me a lot of win equity this year where I'm more okay with cousins. Like, and in general, I'm just not really playing the middle. Like if I look at my top owned dynasty quarterbacks right now, it's actually a two way tie at the top. It's 27% each on Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, and then 20% each Geno Smith and Kyler Murray, 15% Josh Allen. And then we're into like Derek Carr, and then it's like Desmond Ritter, Sam Darnold, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Brock Purdy, Aaron Rodgers. Like it's immediately like I don't really have much of the two. Uh, Stroud. You joked with Sam Darnold, but I mean that's the the yeah. clear Geno. He's the, he's play the this Gino. Year, right? What what if Purdy? What if Purdy is actually such a sick buy and you trade like future seconds he's an for awesome Purdy? Buy, dude. And Purdy Purdy just becomes Jimmy Garoppolo for the next ten years. I I think Purdy is an incredible buy. I I haven't updated these rankings in like a month, so I'm sure that wherever I put him is not yeah, I where to I would put sure him today. Purdy's. Yeah. I, I don't know where I put Purdy. I had him at 98. Incredible. Years. We have him all within two picks. We had him 98, 99, and 100. But I promise you. But I'm that, the highest. That, that's too low. I'm the, I, I'm the vertical. <laughs> yeah, it is probably too low, though. We we should uh, yeah, we should talk tight ends. We, we like, I'd rather have Brock Purdy than Kenny Pickett, for sure, right now. All right. Once Kenny Pickett's name gets invoked, we got to get, get I have very ends. little pushback on that. And to the point where I think I'm just going to make that switch. Um, what about love? You'd rather have him than Jordan love. I think I would. Yeah. I've seen Brock Purdy be good in the NFL. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm doing yeah. it. I already had him ranked him above Jordan guys. love previously, but I think I, like I would take Purdy over Kirk cousins and Derek Carr and those guys. Cause I think Purdy's yeah. going to score points. That's right, the other thing. Like Purdy is Purdy's young. I've seen him play well and he's going to score fantasy points. So like I'm, I'm actually quite interested in Brock Purdy. Like the only issue was, when we did these ranks like a month and a half ago, like I wasn't hundred percent sure that he was going to start at all. And I was pretty sure he wasn't going to start week one, which of course matters Superflex. And now I'm pretty sure he's starting 17 games. Purdy versus Russ Wilson, Jared Goff and Geno Smith, which is a tier in my ranks. I'm definitely taking Purdy over Goff. Cause I don't like Jared Goff. Um, uh, 
think I'm taking Purdy over all of those guys. Maybe I not Gino. I'm pretty into Gino, but as you can tell by him being my third most rostered quarterback, but it would that would be the closest conversation. But I think I'm taking Purdy over all of them. I, I just moved him ahead of all. Well, all right, guys, we we are what like an hour into this. To I don't even know. We're a long time into this. We have not mentioned a tight end's name. Uh, That's true. So let's let's do the, well. Tight end, I think we'll be. Can we, can we do some rapid on. fire stuff on quarterback before we move yeah, on? Yeah, sure. Why don't I mean, we do this? Why don't we okay. do one? Uh, what one would you get non- for Trey Lance right now? <laughs> 2023 third. 2025 third. I mean, you know what a difference this makes is that when we did these rankings six weeks ago, Trey Lance was ranked ahead of Brock Purdy in our consensus <laughs> ranks. And I promise you that's not the case today. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. The, the... Yeah, I'll be making an adjustment. But Lance, <laughs> so I, I mean, candidates for guys to be Tannehill, Geno Smith, because we've kind of hinted yes. at it, but that really is one of the ways that you can gain significant value. I think the other way we didn't, we already talked a bunch of the rookies. The other way is to go get that rookie that everyone hates, go get a Will Levis for nothing. He probably will start games. If he's like, he's a kind of a terrible candidate, I think, cause he's bad, but you know, there's like Daniel Jones was this guy where Justin Herbert was this guy. Where people were like, uh, he's he's not worthy of where he was drafted by the NFL, so we're going to ignore him. That's a way to gain value. But the other big way right now is is to find these veterans who float around. Marcus Mariota didn't really become it, but you would have had a sell window there, I think. So, yeah. Or who who else besides? I guess Darnold, Lance. It's funny the Four ers have two of them. Or is there is there anyone else that could be like the Geno Smith, Ryan Tannehill, come from the rise from the grave type dude? I mean, I'll still never give up on Jameis Winston entirely, but that ship has yeah, probably failed. It's a good, it's a that's good a good point. one. Is um, he back on the Saints? Yeah, he is still on the Saints. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy where you could certainly see a team trading for him in Week Six. Like, if what what if Tua has like another concussion and it's like curtains for Tua Tungavaloa for the twenty twenty four season, like they've got to add they've got to try somebody right they've spent like all their money for this year like are they going to pin their hopes to mike white like i don't know to me like james is the first guy i would call i i just still think he can play like i don't yeah i, I get that coaches too. are risk averse and they don't like the interceptions but like i don't know as i i just can't be convinced that he's not one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the nfl i, I could see him having a light a later stage ryan fitzpatrick career where he plays for oh, different man. he plays until he's like 39 which is like so perfect because of the symmetry of them playing together in Tampa Bay, where he just is, he just is on a stint of one year deals until like 2029 and, and like intersperses seasons being a backup with being like QB nine, but like is uh QB 23 and QBR or whatever every single year. Yeah. He's, he have- turns 30 in January. So he's still pretty young. Like he's got a long career. He's got five or six years of being a backup at the very least. How did Sam Darnold get so many more chances than Jameis Winston? Like Jameis Winston was so clearly better than Sam Darnold. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't get it. Um, is there? Do we have any hope for Baker left? Well, I was I was sure. sitting here waiting for Davis to talk about Baker Mayfield. This was your prompt, Davis. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, Baker, Baker is the best Geno bet this year. Like guy that everyone is completely left for dead. Everyone think like. No one, no one wants to say this publicly. This is like doing a Robert Woods tweet thread, but the Buccaneers are clearly. It wasn't a thread. 
just a single tweet. Just a single tweet. I mean, they're they're clearly the answer to who could be this year's Seahawks, like a team that everyone is left for dead, worst team in the NFL, gonna tank. Not they're gonna trade Mike Evans, like just like they were gonna trade Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf or whatever. And then you know they they they're plucky. They win a couple games they weren't supposed to. They're they're playing free and easy. They're they were uh they are now divorced of the ego of their prima donna quarterback, and they're just having fun playing ball. I don't think it's very likely, but I can I can tell that to myself. I'll give I mean, you. Help. I'll Isn't give you Baker one kind of a prima donna too? That depends on who you ask. Yeah, kind of. I'll give you one guy. There's a quarterback who probably I would say fifty percent chance to start NFL games this year. Who had 128 rushing attempts last year, uh, and his name is Clayton Tune, and you could probably get him for absolutely nothing. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Clayton Tune is probably going to be the week one starter for the Arizona Cardinals, but no one wants to acknowledge that. They really don't because it, it doesn't. Um, McCall, doesn't Colt McCoy have an injury? He's been practicing. He, he's he's Colt McCoy. He? They, they released we... they released a video <laughs> of him throwing a deep ball. Um, on their Twitter account, it was like Colt, and then they had like the arrow to like I don't know whatever, like Davis size wide receiver caught the pass. I'm not sure, but it was. I think Colt will start week one just because I don't know, but I feel like we're going to see all three Arizona quarterbacks start at some point this year. I, Unless I tune is good, maybe maybe they'll just get tuned up. What about uh, Jacoby Brissett? That you would bring up Jacoby Brissett since you hate our Lord and Savior Sam Howell. Um, how well, how are you guys? Maybe that's a better question. Like, how are you handling Howell, Ritter, in. those kind of both guys are breakout, like true breakout bets, in. but also have very low floor. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm in for like leagues where I have them. I feel good about it, but I'm not being like, you know what, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna trade a bunch of future seconds for fucking Sam Howell. Like, not doing that. Who, yeah, that's that's the issue. Is like I I've been trying to trade for Howell and Ritter, but the problem is like everyone that has Howell and Ritter at this point is like, look, if you give me a first, then sure. But right. I'm not trading Sam Howell for a second round pick on Darnell Mooney. What's the point? Um, and I'm I'm never willing to like actually put my money where my mouth is and go get them. I took a lot of Ritter in rookie drafts, so I've mostly just decided to not sell. That's been like my mm-hmm. my stand, I guess. Um. I guess I should have taken more Howell. I kind of dismissed him after he went to round five. Um, so I've, I've traded, I've like picked him up a little bit. I've like traded for him a couple times, but I mean, I'm pretty interested though. Like both of them had a higher peak season rushing yards in college than Anthony Richardson, lest we forget. Um, and they're going to start probably week one and therefore, and they both have good weapons. So like the only issue is you, you need a third quarterback. Cause like, if you're trying to contend this year, and your QB two is Desmond Ritter, and you don't have a third option. Like I would, I would just not feel very comfortable with that scenario, for sure. Yeah, I actually this will surprise people. I'm the highest on Howell of the three of us in our ranks. I'm at one twelve, uh, Jacob at one fifteen, Davis at one forty two. I'm also the second highest on Ritter, one seventeen, Jacob's at one fourteen, Davis at one thirty one. I like, I like my thing with um with Howell and best ball is like and Ritter to an extent, although I, I started to warm more to Ritter. But it's like, what's the payoff? Like, what am I actually getting, you know, if I'm even right? There's no question about what the payoff is here in Dynasty. 
if you're mm-hmm. right on Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter in a Superflex dynasty, one, you just need to fill the position. So even having like at these prices, just getting a starter for just this year is pretty valuable. And then if you were to get multiple seasons for these prices, I think both are both are pretty awesome. So yeah, format makes a big difference when you're thinking through this stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm exactly. probably going to move them true. up even. Like I would say that at the time we did this, I was probably baking in a little bit more risk of Brissett or Heineke starting week one than I would say that there is currently. So I would probably move them up. Like I, here's the, tr- I, I actually just traded fair, for yeah. Sam Howell the other day. I traded, um, I was on the clock at the 109 in a league where I, my team was pretty loaded and I just wasn't really sure what Zay Flowers was going to accomplish. Um, and I traded the 109 and the 201 for a 24 first that I would say is more likely to be early than late and Mr. Sam Howell. Sorry, say that again. You, you got. So I was on the, I had 109 and 201. I was on the clock. Okay. Zay Flowers best available. I traded the 109 and the 201 for Sam Howell. And what I would say is probably an early to mid 24 first. Yeah. That's amazing. What does that even value how that? Because you moved, you essentially well, basically the way the I looked at it was like, I would rather have the 24 first than the 109. My guess is right. the guy making the trade was like, I'll send he, the future first and I'll get the now first. Yeah. Um, right. And, but I want, the, I, was, I want the future first anyway. Yeah. Right. And then I viewed it as like 201. That's Will Levis. And I would just rather have Sam Howell than Will Levis because I think they're both probably low percentage long-term bets, but one of them starting week one. Yeah. I actually just moved Levis behind, uh, behind Howell in my rankings because I was like that well that's silly I shouldn't have I shouldn't have Howell below him so which is an interesting take like you could definitely argue that Levis has like the better long-term pass since he has the way better draft capital but I don't know to me it's like once we're in the stage of like really sketchy young quarterbacks it's like I'll just take the one who's starting the first week of the season yeah and I mean Howell's so tough because the draft capital just wasn't there um but his profile, like with the draft capital, would have been much more interesting to me than Levis's, for sure. like with equal draft capital. And then it's like he is getting the start. So you could, I think you could view him as kind of more of like a third round pick now, in the sense of the organizational commitment in its in the yeah. second year for a fifth rounder rarely happens, and it did happen here. So they're more committed to him than his fifth round draft capital suggests that they would be in a second year. But it, it still makes it difficult because they also can move on from him extremely easily and may do so in season. I think that's I think that's probably true. Are we ready to do tight ends? Yeah. Last question: over under zero point five. Rest of career week one starts from Zach Wilson. Zero. Under. Week one starts for Zach Wilson. I will week say one zero. Under. Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like he's going to start another game at some point, but I feel like that game will be like he was a third string quarterback and it's week 14 and okay, all right, Zach. And then it's like like Blaine Gabbard or something. I think Zach Wilson needs to go like full Geno. Like he needs to go back up someone for like four years and then like wander into people, people, people need to forget. Yeah. 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 That's probably uh, fair. All right. So tight ends. I mean, honestly, it is such a fast conversation. There are, these are the guys who have been tight end ones in fantasy who are ranked inside the top 12. Uh, we have Pitts, 
well, he's never been a tight end one, actually. Or I guess he technically he, he was, was a, a tight end one as a rookie. Yeah. Andrews, and then uh, obviously such a weird conundrum at the position where the best player is, is uh, you know, so close to not being played anymore. Uh, I had Kelsey 31, Jacob, you had him 37, Pat, you had him 36. Uh, then we have Kittle, who is older than people realize, I think. I think people sort yes, of he think he's not 30, but he, he just, he is 30. Uh, then we have Goddard. And then to me, there's a, I mean, this is represented in our rankings, pretty big tier break to Fryermuth, And then we just get into. Well, not in Jacob's fucking. rankings. That's true. I guess I got to do the Fryermuth. He's got him ahead of Goddard. It's true. And right, I actually, do, if do, I was do. ranking today, I would have him ahead of Kittle, to be honest. I just projected Kittle and I don't know. He projects like shit, to be honest. All right. Let's he do always the, projects uh, like shit. The That's bit. the whole thing with him. He's good, but he will yeah. have massive spike weeks. So <laughs> I know. Just ride it out. <laughs> I know. It's like playing the Powerball. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah it's gross um yeah i mean i don't do you want me to talk about fryer booth already yes yeah i what do we uh, have interesting to say about kyle pitts or travis kelsey that hasn't been said a million times well, by everyone the else? one thing about kyle pitts is that one of his adps is egregious like he should not be drafted this high in dynasty if he's actually a round seven best ball pick but well his, his, his best ball adp is egregious pick. his best ball adp is yes. egregious and part of a larger structural mistake that the, that the market is making this year on elite tight ends I fully agree with you. I'm just saying, like, w- there will be one winner. Like, I don't think that those ADPs make any sense together. But I agree with you that it is the basketball ADP that's wrong. Um, take on Pat Fryermuth is that he is a young tight end where everybody, like, we always talk about, like, tight ends need time, tight ends need time. Um, and he appears to just already be quite good at the game. Um, just pulling up his stats right here. Um, but he was, like, his... Targets per route run put him in the same tier with most of the elite guys. He actually had, or what was it? What was not like the elite guys? I'm pulling it up. I will have it in literally in just one second here. Where's our guy Fryermuth? Um, sorry, I was not prepped to immediately go to uh to Pat. You weren't ready to go to our tight end seven as our our starting <laughs> yeah, point. come on, man. Not, there's I was nothing, not ready to immediately go to tight what end is, seven. There's just not anything interesting. Like TJ Hawkinson, sure, whatever, you know. You right. know what you're getting. Right. Yes. So Pat Firemuth last year, 1.68 yards per route run, but in a pretty dysfunctional offense, had 21.3% targets per route run, which is a really strong mark good. for a tight end. That's yeah. not that far off from most of the top guys we're seeing at the position, like once you get past Kyle Pitts and Mark Andrews. And he did it on, like, I think people think of Pat Firemuth as like a kind of a Hunter Henry-esque figure or like shimmies his way down the field six yards at a time because he's like white and kind of thick. But his average depth of target was 8.7. That ranked eight to the position. That's like actually pretty strong. It's not deep. He's more like Hawkinson, I think. Exactly. Like, I think he literally is TJ Hawkinson. It's just that he hasn't already gotten into, you know, that offensive environment that's really helped him. But he's played two years as a 22 and 23-year-old tight end in fairly adverse offensive circumstances with legitimate target competition um, and has posted really strong numbers in his first two NFL seasons. Like his ADOT was higher than Hawkinson. His target rate was just slightly below. So pretty similar in terms of his weighted target rate per uh, with TJ Hawkinson. I just think he's quite undervalued. Like we're talking about a guy who's very, very safe. I think at absolute worst with Pat Fryermuth, you're getting a guy who's going to be between like tight end five to tight end 10 for probably the duration of his career. But I'm just not very closed off to his upside. We don't actually really know what his athletic testing is because he didn't test. Um, We don't think it's incredible. And then 
you add in that he actually does get down the field and earn targets in the intermediate levels. Like I'm not closed off to the possibility that he is able to ascend into being not like a tight end one guy, but like a Hawkinson tight end four, tight end five type of guy. And he typically costs less than a mid first round pick. So I think especially in a tight end premium format, like, you know, if this is like your start 10 half PPR league, I'm not ranking Pat Fryermuth this highly. And I would rather just shoot for the moon on a George Kittle. But if I'm doing like a tight end premium, super flex dynasty league, start 11, you put Pat Fryermuth into your lineup, or even if you can get him as a tight end two behind your elite, he's probably giving you pretty comparable production to any other like wide receiver two, three type that you're putting in the flex in a tight end premium scoring system. But you also get that benefit of the long-term tight end option. And yeah, I just think in general, like I just think people kind of dismiss his upside because they're icked about the Steelers and people have kind of decided that Pat Farmer doesn't have upside. But like, I think the fantasy community views him almost like a Cole Komet type of guy, but he's not. He earns targets better. He that, earns them a that, little bit more. You're, the field. you're so right. That is like in my head, Pat Fryermuth and Cole Komet are just like, they're just a Venn diagram. They are just totally the same dude well, to me. They And they are similar, but in ways that I think are good for the, the Pat Fryermuth bull case um both i think were sort of underrated or underappreciated prospects they're both early to clear guys um and second round picks and then both got on the field right away but fryermuth has been efficient where Komet has never been efficient Komet has always been kind of just like a guy who gets the routes he had 0.93 yards per outrun as a rookie 1.23 last year he kind of had some breakout buzz last year and I didn't really get it. I was like, he's, it's just that he's young. Like that's like the only thing that you can really point to with, with Komet last year, 1.27 yards per hour last year as part of this extremely run heavy bears team. Fryermuth is different. I mean, the 1.68 yards per hour run is impressive. That's an impressive targets per hour run up above 20%. Um, to be elite, you, you kind of want more like the 25%, but we see tight ends take big, big steps in their third year fairly frequently the other nice thing about him already having flashed as a second year player is that you can get out after this year because he's still gonna be on his rookie deal after the end of the season so I actually just moved him up as you were talking I think that was a pretty pretty convincing bull case I didn't move him as high as you have him but I just moved him up to 64 uh, also had a really underreported injury that he dealt with last year like he opened up the season playing over 80 percent of the snaps he gets hurt in week five and he just kind of hovers around between 50 and 60% of the snaps for a while. He was on the injury report every single week. Towards the end of the season, he comes back up over 80%. I think that that hurt some of his raw stats, but you look at his per route stats, they were really strong. Like, I don't really see a reason why Pat Fryermuth can't be in every down tight end. Like, by all accounts, he's a pretty capable blocker. He was used that way when he wasn't on the injury report. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I just think sometimes with certain young players, um, the upside just doesn't get baked in because we get kind of icked. And I think that's him. I, I know it's a boring player, but I, I have been trying to acquire him. He might be less boring than people think. Like he's a, he's entering his third season and he's already earned the ability to be a full-time tight end, which is like the very first thing we need. I also, I'll note, we just had Matt Harmon on ADP chasing and we were talking through some of uh, the, the data that he creates when he's charting out these games. One of them, one of the things he notes is, uh, how often wide receivers are lining up on the line of scrimmage. And something that mm -hmm. jumped out to me when I was looking through that is that George Pickens lines up pretty close to like a traditional X receiver amount of, you know, how often he's on the line of scrimmage, but Deontay Johnson is on the line of scrimmage even more. 
And I was asking him, like, how can that be? Like, I, I basically thought there's, you know, you get your flankers off the line of scrimmage and your X receivers on the line of scrimmage. But you say Matt Canada does some weird stuff. Sometimes he'll have two outside wide receivers both on the line of scrimmage. That allows him to take his tight end off the line of scrimmage. So mm-hmm. I think they're like little things like the way this offense is designed. I'm like, oh, okay. So they're actually making a point so that Frymouth has more of a clean release on some of these routes. So he doesn't have to play like a more traditional. I think that's kind of interesting. We talk about tight ends in the slot a lot, but to me, I'm like, I don't really care as much if they're in the slot or in line. It's like, are they actually good at receiving? But I do think it's kind of interesting that they're, you know, we don't talk very much about tight ends who don't have to line up in or uh, on the line of scrimmage. And maybe Frymouth has a minor advantage there, but just a reminder that he is, he is a receiving talent. And I think his, I think his team realizes that. I think he's forever underrated on the basis of he came out in the same draft class as Kyle Pitts too. Mm -hmm. Well, shit. Yeah. That's gotta be that's and, and uh, when these guys don't do athletic testing and they don't go in the first round and they land in a spot where that's not really glamorous, like people just like think he's Dalton Schultz too. You know, it's like, Oh, he's just a guy, you know, there's no, like when you think of Chig, you're like, Oh, Chig, dude, he's so big. He's so strong. He's so fast. Like people almost would prefer their dynasty tight end to be the tight end three on the team, you know, to start the year when they're drafted and to know nothing about him other than that. He has like a 9.87 RAS. That's like all they, and then for that guy to break, like people would rather if Donald Parham was the starting tight end for the chargers this year, have Donald Parham than Pat Fryermuth. You know, there's just something about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's, I generally think that routes are like, it's one of those things where, if you're just focused on the tight ends running routes, you're missing a huge part of the picture. But mm-hmm. if you're if you don't care about okay, but who can actually run routes at an 80% clip, then you're also missing a huge part of the picture. Like Chickaconquo is probably gonna have a 70% route rate this year, and Pat Frymouth would probably be like 82 or 83%. And that that alone is huge. How down bad are the Chig bros going to be when when Josh Wiley and Kevin Rader are out there blocking because they like have more dog in them than Chig does? And Bravel's like, you know, I just really like I just really like the cut of of Alizy Max Jib, you know, like it just like Bra- <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like Vrabel. <laughs> is that a real like, person? I think it is. Yeah, he was a Notre Dame tight end. He was, I want to say he was a Raider. <laughs> he was like a good preseason DFS guy because he's like more oh of a pass God. catcher. Alizy uh, Max. But I just I Bond villain Chig in, <laughs> Chig in particular feels so fraught. I mean, obviously he's not that expensive yeah. right now. Uh, Jacob, you're higher on all the young tight ends than than uh, Pat and I are. In but fairness, I, do, I think I'm also higher on all the old tight ends. I guess so you, you're just higher the, on all the tight ends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just like it in tight end premium. Like I just want to basically I want to have two tight end ones. Like I, I always. I always want to have one of Waller or sorry, one of um, Kelsey Pitts or Andrews, if I can, especially Pitts or Andrews. But if I can't, then I really want to have two of the next group. Um, I really like Darren Waller. Um, I really like Pat Fryermuth, of course. I'm very, very um, aggressive about Greg Dulcich. But like, ideally, I want to kind of pair these guys. Like anytime I don't have one of the top three, I want Waller and one of the young guys or two of the young guys. And like, I almost want Waller, one of Fryermuth and Joku Dulcich and one of the 2023 rookies, because again, like if I'm playing tight end premium, I want to be flexing a tight end a lot of the time because 
you're usually getting them at a somewhat comparable cost to wide receivers that are going to score somewhat similarly in tight end premium, but you get a two way go. Like if, if you get one of these guys, your tight end two, you can play them. You get the security of being able to play them in tight end. If your guy um, gets injured or is bad because tight ends just like constantly come and go. And then you also get the benefit of, okay, you just put them in the flex, the same difference as the wide receiver. So especially in tight end premium, I'm just higher on the position and I want to build a stable because tight end upside does come from unexpected places. And I want as many shots as possible and tight end downside comes all the time. And I guess I've just been scarred so many times about being week eight. And I thought I had a tight end, but I actually don't have a tight end. And I'm like, you know, pinching three, two thirds together to get Tyler Conklin. And like, I, I just, I want to build depth in my tight end room because it, it really is a position of scarcity and it's a position that you can separate if you're able to hit on an upside profile. So I don't know. I think pretty across the board, I'm, I'm either close to the highest or the highest, I think on most of the tight ends. It's interesting. Cause I, we're, we're very line on the quarterback stuff, but I have tended to play these leagues differently at tight end where I love to have the elites, but I don't really care about missing out on that sexy young group um, of, you know, up and coming tight ends. I, so I just pulled up a league that I won in 2021. Um, and I think this is the, yeah, this is the 2021 roster. I had Dan Arnold, John Bates, Jack Doyle, Tyler Croft, Jonu Smith, and Brock Wright as my tight ends that year on a winning team. <laughs> So like I just I guess I'm this is in premium too. This is tight end premium. This is super flex tight end premium. Um, I I won this one in 2020 as well, and the tight end room was like no better. Um, so I've just like had success. Uh, let's see this this room was Arnold Doyle, Eifert, Richard Rogers, and Janu. Um, I just like, Dick Rod. Yeah, it was a it was a waiver ad. Um. And let's see. I've got another team that finished, I think, fourth. Yeah, I, we were the one seed. I co-owned this with my brother. We got bounced. Um, but we got we had Daniel Bellinger, Dallas Goddard on this team. We traded for pretty cheaply uh, in the offseason last year. Kylan Granson, James Mitchell, Jack Stoll, and Robert Tunyon. So, like, really grow outside of Goddard. Uh, who, again, we got pretty cheaply uh, – Entering last year, this room was really gross in 2021. Uh, I kept it. I kept it pretty gross. I just, I'm like totally fine with that. Like, it, and I like, I like in these leagues. I think one of the only things you can find on waiver wires uh, is tight ends, guys who are really gross, kind of fill in options for their mm -hmm. actual real NFL teams. You can get the, you can scoop those guys up. You can kind of like just kind of scrape along at tight end. And then if something kind of falls in your lap, where I would say Goddard fell in our lap here, amazing. But if it doesn't, I'm just going to like kind of keep the position barren and like wait for that to happen and keep the vast majority of my capital for my team outside of the position because it's such a chaotic position. It's a position where people lose a ton of value. We're constantly wrong about who the next tight end is going to be. So Has there ever been a time the market got this right where they were like, this guy is up and coming. Hawkinson, I, I, I think is one of the few. No, because he never, there was no dip. What was the, what was the dip on Hawk? Like Hawkinson's dip was being like the tight end eight, maybe tight end 
Well, Hawkinson, well, I understand the question. Hawkinson but was, popped once we decided he wasn't going to pop anymore. Well, basically. Sure. What are you? What are you saying then, Davis? Are you, like, when was the last time the market picked a Dulcich, Chig, oh. and Joku, and then that guy ascended? That guy, that guy became the you know uh, a guy you know guy worth a, a good first or whatever. I guess you could say Goddard, but they got bored. People got bored before it really That's happened. The thing. People do get bored. They get bored. And I just don't want to, I really don't like, I'll like Daniel Jones, you know, I kind of made the bull case on him earlier. I think you could say, Pat, you're buying the top of the market with Daniel Jones, which might be true, but Mm -hmm. I'm more willing to go ahead and, and like risk buying the top at quarterback. If I, again, if I have that contract protection, especially than I am at tight end. Like I just get nervous. Frymouth's a slight uh, exception to this. You got me excited about him. Um, but again, I think it helps that he's on that rookie deal. You know, like I'm I'm definitely way more nervous about these guys like losing the value. Like Dulcich, I like him in best ball this year, but he's the type of guy who could really burn you in, in Dynasty. He could really burn you, but like he also could be this Jimmy Graham Joker type. Like the, the Dulcich payoff is quite good, especially because Kelsey like the the tight end one mantle uh you know that removes so much of the equity at the position like when Kelsey's gone there's going to be there's going to be some good team in your league that just had Travis Kelsey that's going to have to disperse assets to get a new one like it it just removes like cuz like Noah Gray is not going to fill in that position and be you know, we're no. we're losing the best guy at the position right i mean the Dolce case is very different than the Fryermuth case like the Fryermuth case for me is like frankly it's just that i think he's mispriced like more than anything it's not even i'm like this is the archetype i want to target it's more just like i just don't think he's priced appropriately the dulcich case for sure his his downside is he's the backup tight end on the denver broncos right to me it's more like with dulcich it's just a matter of this is the kind of upside target that we want in a position where a really high upside player matters a ton and to me i think he's the best bet like outside of the elites to actually be one of the true difference makers at the position. Like you think about how do we get to these real difference making tight ends? It's the guys that either win deep, they win after the catch or they catch a bunch of touchdowns in an efficient offense. And it's like, to me, Dulcich, because he has that downfield usage profile and he was a legitimately super productive college prospect. And he's in a spot that I think has upside. Like I'm, not super optimistic about like investing in Russ specifically in Russ, but I'm pretty optimistic on betting on a Russ breakout by betting on his weapons where Mm -hmm. it's like, if Russ sucks, it's not the end of the world, but I also get the benefit if Russ doesn't suck. And you added what Sean Payton has done with tight ends from Jimmy Graham to Jeremy Shockey. It's interesting to me that people were like, he's probably not going to like Greg Dulcich when he's continually targeted this type of I legit end. don't think he knew he, who he was. Like, I don't think he'd right, like, he, I don't think he really watched him. But like people, people, even before he made that comment, they're like, I don't know if Sean Payton's gonna like this guy. And it was like, look at what he did in New Orleans. Like he drafted like a hybrid wide receiver tight end in Marquez Colston. Or I don't even know if he drafted him. I think he signed him. I don't even know if he was a drafted. I player. think he did. I think he's a seventh round pick. Okay. So he targets that type of guy. Obviously he has a ton of success. They have a ton of success with Jimmy Graham. And then they go out, they sign Kobe Fleener to a legitimate contract. He had like a decent year. Then they go out and get Jared Cook. 
Like it's like yeah. he is continually. They haven't all worked out. All these guys are seam stretchers too. Exactly. Like this role of like this kind of undersized seam stretching downfield tight end is something he always wants to have in his offense. Like he's continually had it. They've had massive success. When they lose a guy that's been a fixture of their offense, he immediately tries to target another guy. Like to me, Greg Dulcich is exactly who he would want. And then he only brought in blocking tight ends. So I think yeah. he's in a great spot. And I don't yeah, think that any I'm of just these let me wide say receivers though, are prohibitive. Like, uh, the blocking tight ends could just play over him if, if Sean Payton decides, you know, I, I got real sick of watching Eric Tomlinson and Andrew back run routes last year as a, as a noted out Albert O backer. Sure. But they didn't run them over Greg Dulcich. No, no, they didn't. Greg Dulcich came in and started running 80% of the routes. And I guess that's my question is like, to me to believe that Adam Troutman is going to be playing like to believe that Greg Dulcich is not going to be the receiving tight end for the Broncos is to believe that Sean Payton will operate an offense that doesn't emphasize a receiving tight end, which is never how Sean Payton has operated an offense. So I, I just think that it's, it's unlikely. It's, I don't think it's impossible, but if Sean Payton is going to run the type of offense that he has always ran, it involves a type of player that is Greg Dulcich and Greg Dulcich seems to be very good at it. So I'm, I'm optimistic, but I mean, I was all over Dulcich as a prospect, so I'm still like Me too. holding, but. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I and I have him at 105. You have him at 96. Davis is at 120. So we're not like wildly apart there. Even it's just more like philosophically. I'm just more like I want to play it like that. Like I want to go get Greg Dulcich very cheaply. Go get Pat Fryermuth very cheaply. Um, Cole Komet very cheaply. None of these guys cost really anything uh, in in rookie drafts. You could do that this year as well as another deep tight end class. Uh, I want to play it like that and then just kind of have the guy anytime I need to go like try to trade for a tight end. I feel like people always want an arm and a leg for a tight end. They usually want a tight end back. It's a very like kind of a liquid market. I don't like being, I don't really like participating in the tight end trade market as much as I can avoid it. I have a team that, uh, the same. That's why, that's why I rank them so highly. So I don't ever have to trade for one. You mean in the, Oh, in a startup, you want to, you want to see, yeah. Like I don't really ever trade for tight ends generally, but I I draft them aggressively in rookie drafts and I draft them aggressively in startups. And then I have the tight ends that I have. I'm more into them in rookie drafts. It's like throw in Noah Fant instead of a third. That's like how I trade for tight ends. Or it's I'm trading for Travis Kelsey. See, I really, I really like buying Komet because one, I I think Komet. so bad. I don't think he's that bad. I mean, maybe he he is. Maybe Cole, is. Cole Komet is, is a pretty funny one that you brought up. I, I will let you go on him in a second, but I am so ahead of all of you on every tight end, except for Cole Komet, who Davis has at 111, Pat has at 131, and I have at 178. I'm I'm very high on him. One, because I think he's gonna earn targets decently. Uh, like, I mean, he he did he scored touchdowns last year. Maybe he, maybe he's just not a target earner. Maybe I'm wrong. He's not. He's not. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just, I, I guess my thought <laughs> I like was, how Davis is. You, you're supposed to make the bull case, and then we're supposed to talk you out of it. Not make the bull case and go. Mm, my my like bull case, one. my bull case would be is like he's a lock to be on the field ninety percent of the time, and right. is gonna be on this offense. That if so, like that we just talked about the super bear case for Fields, but like if Fields does. Because Fields is fun, and if Fields starts to does evolve as a passer and is not eating sacks like uh like you know rice cakes or whatever, 
Uh, I mean, this dude, like, I feel like I feel like the the market is going to be pretty in on this Bears offense. I mean, obviously he could just go like Hayden Hurst, you know, like he could just be uh, a guy who bounces around and signs like two year, eight million dollar deals with a bunch of different teams for the rest of his career. I, 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 I maybe I'm. I, I, I guess, think you got to get out of like just re- go get Michael Mayer reset. Sure, sure. he's a yeah. he's a, I think that's a good point. He's an unrestricted free agent after the year Cole Komet, and he hasn't been good. That to me is just like, get out, get out. You know, like you're, you're going to lose the value. What do you even have, you know, other than just like routes. So go, go get another guy who's going to run. Is he routes. even going like, to get the routes? Like he's, is he even the best receiving tight end on the bears? Like they signed Robert Tunyon. Like, I don't know that Cole Komet like has like Cole Komet last year was on the worst wide receiver depth chart in the entire NFL. He had an eight out of seven, which is 22nd among tight ends. And he had a 16% targets per outrun on an eight out of seven next to Darnell Mooney and Equinemia St. Brown. Like, I, I just, I just don't think that he's at, that's, that's just my, I just think that he's not very good. Yeah. And I, he's I probably not play, very good. He's sort of probably an example. I probably have him even too high because he's sort of an example of what I really am trying to avoid as like paying anything just to fill routes if I want to go just try to and and paying anything just to like fill the position for me that week, like I want to keep costs extremely low at the tight end position unless I'm getting an elite. I had an opportunity a few years ago to trade for Gronkowski. It's, it was winding down, unfortunately, but it's like, hey, it's Rob Gronkowski. Shoot your shot. See if you can actually get, you know, him back to the, the hmm. unbelievable difference maker that he was. And I traded away like Gary Barnage and some pieces to go get him. So arguably I still won the trade, even though I never became Gronk again, but like that type, I got, this isn't tight end premium, but I got Kelsey uh, at a buy low moment and it completely, you know, made that team for years. So like getting the elites, I have no issue with, I think Mark Andrews is probably a little bit undervalued right now. Um, yeah. But I really don't want to pay for just, run-of-the-mill production at tight end because it goes away so quickly it's such a chaotic position evan ingram would be another really um kind of just emblematic of this whole thing for me yeah that's why would i ever pay for evan ingram yeah and i i mean i think i actually um i guess i do have him ranked ahead of you guys but i i think i'm like below the market more on evan ingram and like dalton schultz compared to where I am on like a Dulcich and a Fryermuth and those guys. Like I'm, I'm definitely less into that tier. Like I'm, I would rather just maybe not than Ingram, but like, I would rather just have Luke Musgrave than Cole Komet. Right. Like I would just rather take the shot personally. Um, I'm you're totally right about Ingram, which is hilarious because I was about as all in on Ingram last year as I've like, ever event, been though. on a player, but now it's like we won. Let's collect right. our winnings. Cash <laughs> like, out. Let's, let's, yeah. Right. Like, like I, I have no interest in like being at the Evan Ingram slot machine and pulling another time. Like, I think we got all we were going to get out of that. Yeah. And I think people like maybe underestimate just how much you're asking for when you kind of have, and maybe you're not saying that out loud even, but when you're like, I got Greg Dulcich and he could be anything, you know, he could, he could emerge yeah. as the next guy. Like for Greg Dulcich to become Mark Andrews is such a tiny sliver of a chance. All of this stuff is so thin because one thing that tight end has 
is it does actually, although these guys injury rates and stuff are an issue at tight end, but there's like usually three to four players who are legit difference makers at the position. And they're often the same guys year over year. There's just very few guys who ever emerge as elite contributors at the position. Um, especially in a consistent way outside of like a random Gary Barnage type outcome. So you kind of, your more likely scenario is that, you know, you get kind of like a Hawkinson-y dude or um, someone who's scoring more consistently like Dulcich has over the last couple of years, but to get the true, true elite outcome, I'm always trying to think through Dulcich isn't a great example of this because I think he's actually pretty fine. But I'm always trying to look at the guys who's priced like they have a 20% chance of becoming Mark Andrews when they really probably have like a 5% chance. Yeah, that's fair. Michael Meyer. Well, not anymore, right? He's he's pretty free now. Yeah, that was the, the way that the draft played out was deeply upsetting to me as like a as a pre-draft Kincaid TE1 person. Was, was really disappointing to to not actually get to realize anything for those efforts. But I mean, that's the one like Dalton Kincaid. Like I, I'm actually the highest of, of us all on Kincaid, but like, that's, that's a tough sell, right? I mean, that's a guy who probably has a 5% chance of being Mark Andrews in his price. Like he has a 70% chance of being Mark Andrews. That is, like, that's exactly the type of guy that I will almost always be below market on. I found myself guy, like, taking Kincaid finally in, in Best Ball Mania I, because he's dra- he's falling down to like the is, 12th now. I he's get it. finally I get him in fallen the enough zone. where I will take him if I've already taken Josh Allen. That's exactly where I'm at. I'm now stacking with Allen sometimes. He, he left from the full X to the only in stacks tier. Also, because like I would just never take Dalton Kincaid when I can take Greg Dulcich. And not a best not a dynasty take at all not a managed take even but like i also just think dalton schultz is like a pretty strong value in in best ball um which is a gross thing to say but um i guess that goes right i think you saw robert woods take um right in the same offense um so i i I feel like a lot better with schultz so i don't know i haven't been taking kincaid much in best ball other than um now i will take him for for alan stacks It's, it's pretty it's not that infrequent anymore that he's available after schultz and dulcich all right, Once we're into like Gerald Everett, sure. The yeah, I, I just think like so much of this comes down to you're asking these guys to either be an NFL level slot receiver at like 250 pounds, which is crazy difficult, or yeah. and this is one of the reasons why I, I don't I tend not to get excited about the Mike Sicky types. Oh, he plays in the slot, like oh, that's amazing. He's gonna so what like you know who's good at, at playing in the slot? Slot receivers. <laughs> like they like it's still very difficult for him to be out there and run routes at a full-time level. You know, he actually has to be awesome. The other like in some ways I prefer the inline guys because they don't need to be competing against, you know, they they're doing something that an NFL wide receiver can't really do, which is like block a linebacker. So, you know, the inline guys who then can become receivers I think in some ways are, are are more interesting or at least more undervalued, but you're, then you're talking about, okay, at 260 pounds, you know, be awesome at blocking dudes and be awesome at running routes. It's just such a difficult thing. That's why only a handful of guys get there. And so if I'm just sort of betting against these dudes, like ever doing it, 
um, especially when they're priced like they're going to. And I'm instead, I, I do like to take shots on the position, but I want to just keep it cheap. Just keep it cheap. And, you know, go get the go get the guys in the late second round of rookie drafts, early third round of rookie drafts where Dulcich was. You can get Dulcich yeah. for this. I mean, this is what he was priced as. So, you know, I think I just don't really want to have to pay up. Kincaid is probably the best example of a dude that I'm not going to pay up for. I mean, just draft, just draft Luke Musgrave today. He's going to be the starting tight end for the Green Bay Packers. He is and draft Tucker Craft too, and don't, he goes in the third round. And and yes, and draft Tucker Craft. Those are like both both Musgrave and Craft are in my top four most drafted rookies. Like you, Pat was hit the nail on the head when he was talking about how like illiquid it is. Like it's yeah, it's really hard to trade for tight ends. Like despite my despite my way over market Firemuth ranking, I actually don't even have that much Pat Firemuth because. Like it's really hard. Like there's a lot of teams I don't really need to trade for him. The teams that I would have a use for him. A lot of times people are like, no, I'm good. So it's like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to try to do like Goddard plus Goddard for Firemuth plus or kill for Firemuth plus and get like a little bit more of a plus than I think there should be. Like the circumstances in which I can actually facilitate that trade are so narrow that yeah, for the most part, it's like, I have a lot of Dulcich because I drafted him a lot in rookie drafts. Like I have a lot of Njoku because I picked him up when he was for pennies. Like, we'll see if, if guys like, you know, if, um, that hit. What? But yeah, I, I agree. Like, I would rather bet on that archetype too than like the Chig. Like, I think, and I had a lot of Chig. I took them a lot in like rookie drafts, like the fourth, fifth round. But yeah, I mean, teams don't usually make six foot two tight ends, 80% row participation players because how is he going to play in 11 personnel? It's a tough sell yeah. for me. All right, let's end. Let's end with this. Or go ahead, Pat. Well, I just want to. We're kind of on the topic of some of these like guys you can get for pennies, and I just want to get your thoughts on on those guys, like yeah. who. Because I'll throw out. A, you mentioned Noah Fant, so I'll, I'll leave leave him. But Dawson Knox would be a guy who yes. I think makes for a great. Are you Jacob? You're the most active uh, of us, I think. Um, certainly more than me uh, in the in the trade market. Are you? seeing him move around a lot are you able to get him? i mean usually with these tight ends like usually to get a tight end like a Knox or a fant what it usually is is like you're negotiating a larger deal and then you tell them to throw the guy mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. because like like for any time you have a player that's ranked this lowly it's like if you just send an offer for that player then that just kind of perturbs the other manager because they're like oh well they really want my noah fant like i guess i'm gonna upcharge them so right. like right I, I've I've bought actually nine shares of Noah Fant this offseason, but none of them were like for Noah Fant. Every one of them was like a bigger deal. And then it was like, I just need a little bit more. Can you throw in Noah Fant? Um, I have not gone that aggressively at Knox, but I do think that's a really good one. And I imagine it would be a similar scenario because the hard part is like, what are you going to send for Knox now? It's like, you're going to send a third round pick. The person's like, no, I'll just keep Knox, but you're not going right. to send a second round pick for Dawson Knox. No. So it's like, I don't know, like may maybe you can go and be like, here's this wide receiver that you don't need. Well, it might be easier in season because like in season, what you can do is like team has a running back injury. You're sitting on Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders sprains an ankle, but you're good at running back. You don't need Chuba Hubbard that week. You go to the guy and you say, hey, uh, do you need a running back fill in? Um, I'll give you Chuba Hubbard. That'll be Dawson Knox in a 2026 third. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Right. And that, that's where I think it's like a good chance to get in a lot of those guys is in season when 
you trade the fairly useless player that is of service to another person that week, you get back a fairly useless player that is not of service to them that week. And you also get a third round pick for consideration. Okay. I like that. Let's end with this. We have to choose our 2023 Gary Barnage. Our let's call it, let's call it guy who is well, it could be a guy who's unranked, a guy who is outside of our top 150 even. So it can be guys that we have already discussed here, but we got to give our 2023 Gary Barnage. I have, I, I know exactly who it's going to be. So I'll go last because I've already peered into the crystal ball and I, I already know who it is. Oh man. Um, I, I can go. Go for it. Kate Otten. Kate Otten oh. is, oh, Kate Otten is such a Ew. good one. Kate Otten, so Kate Otten, gross. Kate Otten is such a good, mine is, mine is in a very similar vein to Pat's. So, but, but yes, Clip, Pat clearly understood the assignment here. Kate Otten, second year tight end, who's the veteran of the room. They like yeah. literally brought in like a bunch of other dudes that are somehow younger than Kate Otten. They're talking him up in terms of his veteran leadership entering his second season. Uh, was productive when he was out on the field. He's a Cole Komet, essentially. But what you might have with Otten compared to Komet is that they're throwing a ton because they're so, so bad. Um, you know, you probably need a trade here to, for him to be a barnage. But I do take him in best ball and stuff because I'm just like, look, a ton of underneath garbage time passing attempts that could be a tight end very easily. A Kyle Trask, I think might help him. It's just a pocket passer, get the ball out type. So we just, uh, we run hot on touchdowns. We get a ton of team attempts. He, uh, he lucks into a, an 18% targets per out run. And uh, that, that, that's enough. That's enough. All right. Can you outgross Cade Otten? Jacob. Uh, I think that I might be able to. Um, this is one of my top five most drafted tight ends on underdog. Uh, and his name is Hayden Hurst. Uh, Hayden Hurst uh, had a 17% targets per out run last year, was actually outpacing Tyler Boyd, and he now lands on a depth chart in which Tyler Boyd would clearly be the best wide receiver if he was traded there today. That's true. <laughs> um, he got an actual contract. Like he got over $20 million total. And I believe it was 13 million guaranteed. Um, horrible depth chart. Going to be a team that you project to be playing from behind a decent amount. He's going to be running a lot of nice bunny routes for Bryce Young. Probably not going to be a big scrambler. Probably a guy who's going to be willing to check it down. And you know who's not actually a three down back? Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders had a 0.28 yards per outrun. They want to make him a three down back. They are woefully mistaken. So those checkdowns are not going to the running backs. They're not going to DJ Chark. They're not going uh, to Terrace Marshall. Hayden Hurst is going to be just enveloping up and gobbling up those targets. I think he has a great chance to see. To Honestly, like I think he has a pretty legitimate opportunity to potentially lead the Carolina Panthers in targets if he's able to run like 80% of routes. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my, my concern with Aiden, Aiden Hurst. Because of the Frank Wright tight end yeah. rotation. He had, but who, who else is rotation. there? They gave him so much money. Well, they have that dude. What they have one of the guys who's Call like a legit, Tremble, yeah. But Tremble's a blocker, so that's what concerns me. He's like, Hurst is there, he's 65% route rate guy, and then Tremble's blocking enough to hurt. But like, are they going to be that committed to playing 11 personnel with the wide receivers that they have? Yeah, that's fair. That's definitely like, fair. I, I like, I don't know. I got if. 
if, if you want to bet on Adam Thielen being dust and not worthy of a 12th round pick, I, I submit Hayden Hurst. That's all. He like actually earned, I don't know if earned is the right word, but he received targets at a pretty impressive <laughs> rate for like 17% targets per route run next to Chase Higgins and Boyd with how much they throw to running backs was like, he was legitimately used. Like I didn't, so I, I could see that 17% number get up to 19, 20% this year in an extremely favorable environment for target earning. All right. Well, you guys both, Kate Otten is pretty good. I the Hayden Hurst, I can't, I can't get there just because I expect Carolina to not have enough passes available. But the real answer is Jake Ferguson. Uh, Jake Ferguson is is going to barnage his fucking way to 800 yards and six touchdowns, and it's every step of it is going to be painful. You you're never if you have Ferguson, like let's say you have Ferguson on a high stakes team, you're never going to be able to tell the difference between him and Hendershot. Because Ferguson wears 84 and Hendershot wears 87. They are the exact same size. They with no, uh, they have different hair, but you can't tell when they have the helmet on. So it's going to be... And then Schoonmacher is going to come in, and you're not going to be able to tell the difference between him either. They're all going to look the same, but it's going to be Jake Henderson uh, doing a late-stage Jacob Tammy rumble bumble and it's just it's it is fate you, you just combined their names you called them jake henderson which is a combination of henderson and ferguson it, it, because they are they are indistinguishable <laughs> but ferguson is the better blocker which is just going to give him more snaps and that all the beat writers have already said schoonmacher's ota injury like basically just like sealed this up like ferguson is just going to have to play and he's also got upside if cooks has a concussion if Michael Gallup, in fact, like everyone thinks he's going to be way better this year, but he was really bad last year. And if that's his same baseline, there's going to be more targets, less very inefficient red zone rush attempts to Zeke. It's all it's all spelled out. Jake Ferguson is Gary Barnage. It, it is what it is. I expect, I would say that's a better pick than Kate Otten because I just pulled up Gary Barnage's line. I mean, it, it is wild. That it, this you, guy, you don't even believe it when you look at his his pro football reference page. It it feels like it someone's nuts. pranking you. It, it's truly crazy. So he had 13 receptions in 2013, 13 receptions in 2014. Those were both career highs to that point. And then in 2015, he went 79 for 1043 and nine touchdowns. On 125 and he was targets. 30. He was 30. This is this was not a spray. He was 30. Well, he was out of the NFL within two years. The yeah, the crazy right. even crazier one, and this was the one guy that I forgot to mention with Greg Dulcich, but was 35-year-old Benjamin Watson in his 12th NFL season, put up 110 targets, 74 for 825 and six with the Saints. Oh my god, I forgot about that, dude. I at age 35 about that. Year 12. And he had he had he had wow. like one kind of sort of season with Cleveland like six years prior, and other than that, it was it was just straight nothingsville. And then he he went nuts, and he too was shortly out of the NFL. But the Barnage season, what the was Logan the, Thomas what was Barnage? Will soon be this remembered is in that okay. Way. This is a yeah. Good, the, is, that's the Logan Thomas was a Barnage, I think. Unfortunately, it was yeah. Okay, unless we're he is your it, Gary Barnage for twenty twenty three. We're gonna end it with this. He, he's on the list. I'm gonna go <laughs> find. I'm going to go find ADP from 2016. So this is fantasy football calculators, ADP. Where do we think Gary Barnage was drafted the year after <laughs> that, that season? Probably Seven like the round. sixth round. He was the 
82nd overall player, the 708. Gary Barnage was uh, Gary Barnage was drafted ahead out? of Zach Ertz, drafted ahead of Zach oh, no. Ertz and Julius Thomas. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, Julius Thomas was like pretty close to a Barnage. Like he he had what two years? Yeah, he was. Peyton and it was Smith. all it was all Peyton Manning driven. There was he yeah. was doing nothing. He was doing no part of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Owen Daniels could have had the exact same season that Julius Thomas had if he had been there during that year. Antonio Gates was still hanging around at this point. Uh, we're just we're just naming guys now. I love naming guys. All right, this is uh, yeah. it's been a two and a half hour podcast on quarterbacks and tight ends. Might work, guys. Make sure that you are subscribed to Legendary Upside. Make sure that you are subscribed to Thinking About Thinking and uh, listening to the Sports Gear Fantasy Football Podcast. And we will be back next week with a mailbag episode so uh if you if you check crane's twitter he'll tell you where to send those questions and uh thanks for listening